Well, hey there, freaks. It's your boy, Marty, here to introduce our sponsor, Cash App. You already know all about them. They're helping us stack sats. They're helping us save money at Merchants. And they just rolled out a new UI. I don't know if you freaks have it yet, but uh, they updated their UI last week. Bitcoin is now a first-class citizen in the app, um, and it is uh, just very sleek, easy to use. Let's go over the details of what you have on the Cash App. Again, you can stack sats. You have the ability to buy, sell, deposit, and withdraw Bitcoin on the Cash App. On top of that, they have their Boost program, which lets you go to the merchant, which lets you go to merchants like Whole Foods, DoorDash, any coffee shop, Taco Bell's on the list. There's too many more in the name, uh, and you get the special Boost card with that. You get to sign your signature, personalize it. It's all good and dandy. Um, on top of that, if you have not downloaded the Cash App yet, if you've been listening to this podcast, and if you've yet to download Cash App and you decide to download it in the future, make sure you use the promo code STACKINGSATS. That's S-T-A-C-K-I-N-G-S-A-T-S, one word. You're going to get $5, and then $5 is going to go to our partner, Al's Lacrosse, based in Chicago. Um, a very good charity doing great things in the west and south side of Chicago that we're honored to support here at TFTC. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation that Matt and I had with Richard Myers from uh, Gotenna and Global Mesh Labs. Uh, incredibly far-ranging conversation, everything from uh, P2P, uh, Bitcoin exchanges, to mesh networks, to deflation, to cashless societies. It was a great, long-ranging, long conversation. Hope you freaks enjoy. What is up, freaks? It's your boy Marty Bent here in one of our relegation studios in Brooklyn, sitting down with a couple of great gentlemen who've been having a, a, a beautiful conversation with our with our guests tonight. Matt O'Dell's in, with with us in the studio, and we've got Richard Myers from Gotenna and uh, Global Mesh Labs. Richard, welcome to the podcast. Thanks. Been looking forward to it for a long time. Pumped you're here. <laughs> Pumped you're here because, uh, I mean, Gotenna and what you're working on at TX10 has fascinated me for over a year now. I think the first time I wrote about TX10 was June of last year. We were talking about this around consensus. And it's been crazy to see the progress you've made over the last year. But we've been talking for like the last 45 minutes. Matt uh, forgot his mic <laughs> and had to run home. So Richard and I had a great pre-interview chat. You've got a very fascinating story of before you got to Bitcoin and uh, your career before Gotenna and now working on Lot 49 and the Chanco Labs residency. So let's just first talk about what you were doing with the microscopes uh, and developing for uh, microscopes basically in the community around that and, and how it prepared you for Bitcoin. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, I think working in software development <clears throat> is really you know the primary thing I got from my last job. but um, what I was what I was saying, you know, as I'm here at Chaincode, sort of learning about the core development process, I see a lot of similarities. When you've got a, you know, it's a going on ten year, it's a ten year code base, more than ten year code base, and the project I was working on before was also a, a long, is a long single code base that it evolved over time, and it maybe wasn't as mission critical, you know, from a financial standpoint, but we were still pretty resistant to make big changes, so that. That kind of it was a small team, and I think you know still with with Bitcoin, it's a little larger team than we had at this this microscope company. But same same attitude that you're not making changes that are unnecessary. You're really being very conservative, 
because you know every change introduces a bug <laughs> potentially. So that 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 way that development process um, seems pretty familiar. So I'm I'm excited actually. You know I, I have been a developer for a long time, but it's only like very recently and and mostly due to the chain code residency that I've started to try to get deep into Bitcoin. You know from a development standpoint, it's it's really you know it's exciting, but it's also sort of scary. You know because there's a lot to a lot to learn. <laughs> and you're saying you're. C++ experience has helped you out. Right. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I, I didn't realize that that would be so rare, but I mean, one of the, I guess one of the advantages of being kind of an oldster here is that, you know, that's what I learned. That's what I've been programming. And so it's not intimidating. I think, you know, the other people at the chain code residency maybe have also had some C++ experience, but I think it's, um, yeah, I think generally it's not as popular a language nowadays. So um, yeah, it's good. It's like those guys in 2000 who had the Fortran experience and, you know, were like, they were, they were tapped when that Y2K issue came around. So I kind of feel like if you're, if you've been doing C++ for a while, you know, it's good prep for, for working on the core, core software for Bitcoin too. Hell yeah. So how did you, uh, become introduced to Bitcoin? Like we were, I mean, I've heard this story, but for the first <laughs> yeah. out there. Yeah, I mean, I think my story is very typical. I saw it on Slashdot. I actually think my brother might have seen it first and sort of tapped me and said, hey, take a look at this. Um, yeah, I mean, I've heard a lot of people give their origin story for Bitcoin. And I think the only way mine may be, very, it may be a little bit different is I didn't like immediately think, oh, shit, this will never work. I mean, I wasn't a cypherpunk. I didn't know the whole history of cryptocurrency. When I first saw it, I just thought... Like shit, this is gonna, you know, this is gonna give us state-free money, <laughs> and I was totally in. You know, I, I had no doubts. I was only, you know, my, I think an, another common theme that I, I think I also fell into is, you know, your first thought is isn't will it work? It's like how can we make sure this works? You know, where is it going to be attacked? What what you know what can we do to make this work? Um, one other thought though on that is just that my my biggest surprise I would say is just how quickly it has happened. Uh, and I shouldn't have been surprised, but but I feel like like that anybody who's been around like Bitcoin for a while, I think is a little bit surprised that it's actually, you know, taken off the way it has. What uh, what were your expectations? Were you thinking this would just trudge along for a decade or two? And yeah, I, I thought it would be a small niche thing for a long time. I didn't think it would go away, but I didn't think it would go mainstream. I thought it was just, you know, pretty niche. You know, it's, my, I, always, I always like to draw the analogy with email. If You know, you guys maybe aren't quite old enough to remember the land before email, but email was like that for a long time. You know, like the only people who used email were, you know, dudes in the CS department, you know. I, yeah, I don't want to, maybe I don't want to get in, talk, talk about this topic, but, you know, there were no women basically in those departments. <laughs> so I remember when it became common for women, you know, for girls when you're in college, you know, you want to send an email to a girl. There weren't that many. <laughs> so, you know, a lot of the sort of similar feelings around Bitcoin, you know, that... Sausage fest feeling? Yeah, I, I don't think that's going to be forever. I think that's just a, I think that's just a momentary thing that's going to pass as, as it becomes more mainstream generally, basically. Yeah, my wife's a hardcore hodler now. See, yeah, I don't think there's any... Yeah, there's, it's just about knowledge, you know, just about finding out about it. And what, uh, what was your sort of path that you took? So you approached this more from a computer science uh, thinking it's more of like a breakthrough in, compu a breakthrough in computer science or you're telling me before your dad had this very uh, <laughs> fuck the man mentality. Was it more of that that drew you towards yeah, this? Yeah, I mean, I definitely was raised, you know, in that individualistic philosophy. Um, my dad, you know, he subscribed to the Objectivist newsletter and we had those sitting around the house, you know, Ayn Rand, Atlas Shrugged, all that stuff. 
And I, you know, so I think I was, that sort of lays the ground worth You sometimes hear people say that they were, you know, they were raised one way or the other, but Bitcoin got them into Austrian economics. And I don't feel like, in my case, it was sort of like the opposite. I really started with that already. And I think a lot of people have that history, you know, and so that resonated immediately. Um, and I've maybe gotten deeper into it now, you know, with Bitcoin, but uh, yeah, definitely fuck the man was, was, was the household word. So <laughs> <laughs> you're saying your dad was a fireman too. Yeah, he was a fireman, but uh, I could tell you some stories about that. He was not, uh, yeah, he was, he was a state employee, but he was, he was not exactly down with the full program. <laughs> I feel like firemen of all the state employees are some of the most admirable running into some of the most dangerous situations out there. Yeah. Yeah. Although I got to say he, uh, you know, as his career sort of went on, he said that it was a lot less about fires and a lot, a lot more about like emergencies and things like that. So, oh, really? Yeah, it was more about medical emergencies than fires, you know, just the way things go. But there was, there was fires. Yeah, he was. Is the uh, life of a fireman odd hours? There's a lot of odd That's hours. That's true. Right? Odd hours and no suits. So I, I think being a programmer is kind of similar in that way. <laughs> you work some weird hours and you don't wear a suit to work. So I guess, that, I guess I'm following in the footsteps that way. <laughs> How did you and your brother get into software development? Uh, yeah, we were just talking about this. Uh, my brother was here in New York over the weekend. Um, yeah, I mean, we picked up a book on BASIC, I think. Uh, you know, actually, if you really want to go back, um, there was a computer store, and they sold this was like before PCs, so, so like just as the Apple was coming out, and there was this computer store, and we'd ride our bikes to this computer store to play, I think the game was called Star Trek, and it was a total text cursor-based game, and we would, we would ride our bikes just to go and sort of hang out at this computer store. And this was like a computer with like wood grain on the side. This is sort of that era. <laughs> yeah, I kind of missed that, that, that look. Um, eventually we got one at home and yeah, and just sort of went from there. So I've been programming since we were, you know, in our early teens. So it's crazy. <laughs> I actually met your brother in uh, San Francisco. Yeah. <laughs> you never told me you had an identical twin brother. Well, we're not identical, but yeah. You're, you're, are you <laughs> really not identical? We're, we're fraternal twins, yeah. We're, we're not it's identical. It's not identical? No, but if you don't see us side by side, it's a common... Commonly, people Steve's think we look alike. Steve's got a bit of a, uh, a beard. I don't know. Even the mannerisms <laughs> are similar. You know, you have very similar mannerisms. He came up yeah. to me. I, I, I swear to God, I thought he was. I thought it was you playing a practical joke on me. <laughs> I even like checked his name tag and everything. <laughs> yeah, I was worried about that. I told him, you know, if anybody comes up to you, you got to explain it. They're going to think I'm like the rudest SOB. <laughs> well, I figured it out on Twitter because he started following me on Twitter, and I was like, Steve Myers. Myers, it's M Y E R S. I've never seen it spelled that way. Um, so I. I, I but I was like, ah, these two look a lot alike. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I guess before we get into the crux of our conversation tonight, what we really want to talk about is Go 10, uh, Lot 49, and TX10, and all that. Let's talk about what you and your brother are building. I don't know if, if Matt <laughs> knows much about this, but um, Bite a Bit, uh, which is a P2P mobile exchange. We were talking about this before. It's yeah, it seems pretty fascinating. Yeah, I mean, sort of back to my history. You know, the first thing I did when I really, you know, saw that Bitcoin was cool and it was working is I just sort of like iterated in my head, like what kind of project? I'm a software developer. I got to do something in Bitcoin. Uh, and, and the one that sort of stuck out is like this. It, that was like around the time of Mt. Gox and, and the fact that exchanges, you know, were the central point of failure. We weren't even thinking about mining centralization. This was just thinking about, you know, the, the big issue of the day was was centralization of exchanges. We had like one major exchange. Um, so that sort of put me on this thought about a decentralized exchanges, and that's about like that's when PSH was coming out, two or three multi sig was the taproot of its day, you know, like that was the hot technology. And 
basically been tinkering on that with my brother ever since. You know, we've gone through a lot of iterations. We worked with the BISC project and tried to support them because we thought they were on the right track. Uh, and it's just taken until now <laughs> to basically, you know, get something that we think is, is worth testing. So hopefully we'll get something this year. So I'll let you know. <laughs> nice. You said you're starting in Sweden, correct? Yeah. So I'm living in Sweden. So we're going to start in Sweden. They got nice uh, non-charge uh, backable payment instant sort of bank-to-bank -bank payments, so we think that's a good place to start, and they don't have a lot of other good options, so we think Sweden might be a good place to sort of test this stuff out and get the, shake out the bugs. No, we were uh, talking about it before. I didn't know, like, Sweden has one of the top, like, population to Bitcoin holding Yeah, I mean, I don't ratios. think they're, they're probably not the top, but they're, they're pretty high when you consider, you know, how relatively stable the economy is. Um, they're always in the top 20 or so, I think, you know, so the Per capita, it's a very small population. So if you just look in volume, they don't show up. But I, you do the math and you divide by population, it's pretty high. They're they're very like technologically forward there too. I mean, everything is on the cell phone. You probably heard they don't they don't carry cash. You know, it's very cashless over there. Yeah. Right? So I think the idea of a cashless uh, non-state money maybe also appeals to some too, because uh, it's definitely a pretty big state out there. Does um, the uh, almost cashless society scare you at all? Yeah. It's, uh, it's pretty scary. It's pretty scary for sure. I mean, there is no gray market in Sweden, I'll tell you that. And a lot of that is on purpose. You know, you've got to, everything has got to go through your phone and, you know, people, if you spend with cash, like if you go to a place and you pay with cash, you get a little weird look. Really? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I've, being back here in New York, I realized that, you know, not only don't you get a weird look paying in cash, like, uh, you know, merchants appreciate that. Um, but not in Sweden. It's uh, and I don't know the full f sort of psychology behind it. But yeah, yeah. So what I was just going to ask: Do you find yourself self-censoring at all, or ah, uh, that's a good not question. you, but maybe other people? Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess yeah. You you would self-censor for sure. I mean, you 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 know that that's maybe a whole other topic. But Sweden is a homogeneous society, and you know you worry about what people think, and there's a lot of transparency in that society. For instance you can find out what other people pay in taxes. That's part of the law. Really? Yeah, you can, you can request that information. And it's because, you know, you're your brother's keeper. <laughs> Is he paying his taxes? Can well, you do that here? Check. Or can you only do that for businesses? I, I mean, I assume you can't, right? We don't know Trump's tax return. Yeah, that's true, right? <laughs> right, right. That's a, yeah, because that's the thing. Presidential candidates, that's why I got confused. Presidential candidates will typically review their tax returns. They voluntarily disclose yes, them, Yes, right? exactly. Yeah. 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 No, that's, uh, th th I mean, it's good and it's bad. I mean, I'm all for transparency, but it definitely is, uh, it's can be put to other uses too. And, um, I mean, the state is more transparent, at least in theory. So that's also good. Um, but, um, but yeah, financial privacy is not kind of considered a high, high thing. Wait, there. Is it, is it uncouth in Sweden to ask how much someone makes? It's probably still a little rude. I mean, people that's more like socially maybe rude, but uh, in some in some professions, it's not uncommon to like if you think somebody's making more than you, you just go and ask HR, and they'll tell you how much they make. Yeah, I mean, because you can so, just well, yeah, if you just it's pretty messed up, you can go backwards on the taxes and just know exactly yeah, how much they make. Yeah, I, I've never done it, so I don't know the details, but I just think like generally that's not considered private information. So uh, I want to give a shout out to Matt here for using the word uncouth. Haven't heard it in a while. Very good word. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I didn't even stumble when I used it. <laughs> <laughs> haven't heard that one in a while. Um, no, it's fascinating. Uh, obviously, because Bitcoin, somebody living in Sweden, uh, which is basically going cashless, it <laughs> seems like a very peaceful, conformist 
society yeah. is building one of the most or working on one of the building yes one of the most uh sort of uh overtly uh basically middle finger to <laughs> the state and let's hope they don't see it that way initially but yeah yeah well so let's jump into it how did you like find gotena what what like you, you alluded to it earlier uh, in the conversation that uh, Bitcoin, Mt. Gox helped you realize Bitcoin centralization in one aspect, and that's why you're building Byte a bit, and it feels like internet service providers being the main yeah, uh, I think, conduit for transaction relay. Yeah, those are both. I mean, I th- when you're a software developer and you're thinking about Bitcoin, you know, you look for ways that it could be attacked. That's, that's I think, common for many people that get into Bitcoin. You, and you think about these things. And, and for me, initially, it was the centralized exchanges, but um, also have been thinking about just the other communication, you know, attacks that could be happening. So um, I think I, I initially just randomly ran across uh, Gotenna. I wasn't as early as Matt here with the Gotenna crowdsourcing. <laughs> OG. You're an OG, yeah. <laughs> I wish Kickstarter gave you equity. You know? <laughs> yeah, that sucks. <laughs> so, but, but I think I saw a Twitter post about it or something. And, uh, and at that same time, I think the Blockstream satellite was being talked about. And I don't know, uh, I, I, I got to look up the exact post, but something uh, Nick Zabo had said about it. And I responded... And it kind of, there was a nice little conversation about like wireless alternatives and, and how radio could be used. And I kind of, those things kind of clicked together and I started to post on the Gotenna forum and doing research into like how that could be done. And that, say one thing led to another and I was posting on the forums and then I was sort of consulting for them, trying to give them some advice. And I was telling you earlier that Daniela, you know, they were, Gotenna was taking Bitcoin from 2015. I don't know if you remember that. Um, but some pretty early, they were taking Bitcoin on their website from pretty early. Yes, yes. Uh, it was BitPay, unfortunately, which we've fixed. But, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I hope they're not a sponsor. <laughs> no, there's no very BitPay few. They would never be a sponsor. <laughs> no, BitPay would never. Yeah, I didn't think fuck so. themselves. We uh, we are BTC Pay server. Uh, nice, nice. Users, they're <laughs> not, not a sponsor. sponsor by, uh, <laughs> nor will we want them to sponsor us. The, the stuff that they build for free is awesome. We yeah. help sponsor them. Yes, exactly. <laughs> That's great. That's the way it should be. Yeah. Uh, yeah, so so I was posting on the forums, and, and Daniela, uh, I want to say was 16, I, I got to look it up, but um, she gave a talk at the Blockstack uh, Summit of some sort, and she just was basically putting out a call, like, okay, here are the problems with Mesh, and, you know, you've got a decentralized network, how do you kickstart a, uh, or how do you fix this sort of zero-star problem? If nobody's got one, then who's going to get one? You know, it's like the first telephone, if there was nobody to call, it wasn't very useful, so you had to build up that network effect. And I think very early on, um, so Daniela Perdomo is the co-founder of Goten, and she very early on saw the parallels with cryptocurrency also being a protocol, and that's really what Gotenna makes. I mean, they make these devices, but they really just make them as a way to run the mesh protocol, that they, which is really, their, is really their sort of technological innovation, is the, the, the way to, to route messages over this mesh. Um, so they looked, at Go- they looked at Bitcoin and cryptocurrencies generally as this like protocol incentivizing its own use. That was something she, she talked about. Um, and, um, and looking like, what can we learn from cryptocurrencies, basically? What can we look at for Bitcoin? This was you know, starting to get into 2017 where there was a you know, mad sort of flourishing of different altcoins. But, but it's just sort of the idea that you can incentivize protocols with some system. And that's... That, that was in her talk, so I sort of started posting on that and uh, eventually also worked with um, the, put her in touch basically with the Samurai Wallet guys. Um, so TX Tenna, you guys mm-hmm. have talked about. <laughs> yeah, no, and it's, uh, 
it's crazy seeing the demos of them sending Bitcoin transactions through a mesh network. But to take a step back in general, it's like as someone who considers himself someone of adult and is not not an adult, adult. Um, <laughs> it's uh, like you never think of the attack vectors or the centralization of the information uh, highways, if you will. I'll go back to a to a old 90s phrase, but like <laughs> the internet as in internet service providers as the main uh, sort of vehicles of transmitting most of the data that I send and use other than and on top of that telecoms as well. You don't really think of, oh crap, like these companies have an immense control over the, the basically transfer of data in the world and mesh network had never even come into my consciousness until I read uh, what you wrote uh, over a year ago, a year and a month ago, I believe. And it's crazy to think that there are different ways. Like you can do it in radio waves, you can do it via mesh network. So, but these these alternative networks seem pretty nation right now. Is that is that correct in assuming or? Yeah, I mean, it's there are different projects going for different things. I mean, what we're focused on at Gotenna is what we would call a mobile mobile mesh network. Um, there is a, there's some other projects that have been around a while where it's more point to point. I think you've got one here in New York, so the New York mesh. Yeah, uh, Mike is helping with that one. Oh yeah, right, right. Uh, yep, yeah, I could. That's totally his thing too. Um, and that's like rooftop receivers yeah. on buildings. Yeah, uh, you know, and the difference there from a routing standpoint, you don't have too much issues because everything is fixed. You just have a fixed network. Um, but but getting but that's also hard to jumpstart. You know, it's true for all mesh networks, and it's really you know you can really look at Bitcoin as also a mesh network from a standpoint of if nobody's got Bitcoin, then nobody's going to use Bitcoin. And if nobody's relaying, have relay nodes, then, you know, you can't run the network. But, but I guess sort of the observation about Mesh there is that all of these networks, if you look at Torrents, if you look at BitTorrent, you look at Bitcoin, all of these are overlay networks on a centralized network of, of you know, ISPs and uh, service providers, like mobile service providers. So even though they're structured protocol wise as being these meshes of peer-to-peer -peer nodes that what they're running on is is really centralized and and it's centralized here in the u.s and getting more centralized i suppose as we get more consolidation but you go to some countries and it's really like the national carrier so you're really talking about one isp that runs everything china for example i mean that's a state-based system there where and and they do shut it off i mean you've heard about Turkey, I think, was more you know one of the big big examples. Of and we have the Great Firewall of China. Venezuela yeah. just we, Venezuela. recently shutting down. We saw the war on BitTorrent here. Yep. Where they were tracking they were tracking all your packets and sending you cease and desists and yep. you know doing some <laughs> test cases where they threw people in jail, threw kids in jail, and gave you big ass fines. Yeah. And then we have like the vertical integration of the media companies that also own the lines as well, and then they they're presumably like in the future going to start charging us to, to gain access to stuff that isn't in their portfolio. Like you can see the writing on the wall. Is this why you got into mesh networking? The war on BitTorrent was really obvious for me in the beginning mm -hmm. because I may or may not have used BitTorrent, <laughs> but uh, that is where I learned like what a VPN was, uh, how internet censorship could be enforced in America fairly easily. Um, and just like privacy in general. And so you let's shift now asking questions to you, Matt. Why were you initially like kickstarting Gotenna? Like what what piqued your interest with that? So when was Go Gotenna? Was I already a Bitcoiner at that point? When was the Kickstarter? Was it 2013, 2014? Yeah, I about then. Yeah, it was 
five when, years ago when or was so. snowden Late 2012, I believe it was. Like, it was post Snowden was yeah. a Gotenna. So they had basically, you know, all Kickstarters, they oversell, right? Mm-hmm. So basically, I saw this non centralized communication medium, basically just text messages on your phone that presumably would be encrypted and, and, and not centralized. So it hit the two main things that we basically needed. Um, in terms of like private communications on like a local basis, like even if it wasn't successful on on a, on a nationwide or global basis, like presumably we could get ten thousand people in New York to run it, and and we could have like pretty private chats if if there was any kind of protest stuff like that. And then when I received it in the mail, they weren't able to do the encryption on Gen One, so it was completely worthless. Everything was just oh, and there was no hops. You couldn't, it just had to be point to point. So you had to be like within a mile of someone and there was no encryption and it literally just crushed my dream. So I sent them like the angriest email ever <laughs> and they said, don't worry, we're working on encryption and hops. I was like, yeah, bullshit. There's no way they're going to do it. And then they came out with the Gen 2 that supports both of those. And that's what the transaction tenant and all this is built on top of. Uh, for an idiot like me, what's the difference between endpoint and uh in hops well like now point to point in hops. Well, like me. now we can go what seven hops i think is the max yeah it's limited by software it might be 10 actually yeah so you can if there's like especially if there's relay nodes people just like plug in gotenas and just leave them places and fix places if you're like you could be like 10 15 miles away and i can hop off of intermediary uh, Gotenna's until it ultimately reaches you. But which is like compared to, so I guess like for a lot of these use cases, one of the competitors that they're competing with are like the, the little walkie talkies, the consumer radios. Right. And they do, they say they do like seven, 14 miles or whatever. They really do like two miles point to point. Um, but they can't hop off of each other. Right. So once you start adding that capability to the hops, you have like, there's really something you can build off of there that you can work off of there. You can get some like pretty crazy distance going and then you can ultimately add like bridge nodes and stuff like that where you're way less limited. As long as there's like a bridge node within eight hops of me, then it can go out to the wider internet and then, and then connect that way. Yeah. And, um, just lost my train of thought here. What, uh, the, um, the actual device That's where I want to go. So the actual, go tenant device it seems like a very like apocalyptic apocalyptic survival tool right how long can it last like let's talk about the actual device what does it do how durable is it and 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 how long can it go without like a battery charge or something like that yeah i mean i can i can talk about that matt Matt's probably got a lot more of the history but the, um like the current device the mesh device you when it's charged it can go about a day so it's rated for about a day of of use it'll be more or less depending on how much use you get uh the range i think on our website we say four miles but that's very dependent on where you're at so if you're in the open if you're out on the water for example you know you got nothing between you and the other guy um, it can go much further if you're in a concrete jungle like new york it's going to be limited it's not going to go through big buildings um and the thing is, this, this is on the ISM band. That's a, a radio frequency that's given for these sort of uses to, to, to people who want to build devices. And it's, it's the same for basically everybody in, on this is a UHF band. Um, but it, it, you know, it, it, 
it that's why the meshing with the hops is so important because if you're in a dense area, you can turn that density into better capacity, into better range by hopping from node to node to node and getting around corners, getting over obstacles, things like that. Um, you just need to create, and then range is important too because the longer your range, um, then the more people are, you're going to have within your area that you can hop through. Uh, so that's why things like Bluetooth, for instance, the, I think it's called FireChat, was that the one in China? So this yep. was like an early example of how mesh could be used in really um, sort of the situations you talk about, like protests, um, where the government shuts down the internet or is monitoring the internet. But the problem with, with something like Bluetooth is it's very short range. And even Wi-Fi is super short range. And, and you need so many more devices to get a full mesh network. Um, whereas if you've got a longer range device, you need a lot fewer. So it's Whatever a, happened to FireChat? I, I looked into it for a while. I think there's still some company there, and they might be still be working on something, but it didn't seem like it was that active. I don't think it was even encrypted, though, right? Uh, good question. I don't remember. It may not have been. Yeah. And it doesn't matter. It was mostly based on group chats. And then it's like yeah. if you're using group yeah. chats, like there's always you All just right. always assume there's a mole in there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was it was great because the idea of just being able to communicate when everything is down. I mean, that idea, I think, you know, and that that's where. A lot of when you know we look at Gotenna, what we're looking at just something that you can use um, when it, when nothing else works, you know, and whether that's after a disaster because the government yeah. shuts it down. I mean, we saw that here after September 11th, like one of the one of the main uh, infrastructure points was the World Trade Center. So oh. like, and also all this everything was overloaded because everyone was trying to call. You couldn't make like any calls whatsoever, yeah. and th that was like the time when everyone needed to do it, right? Yeah. Well, so I, I guess that provides a natural segue into the next topic. Like, how do you incentivize mesh networking? How do you get more devices in more people's hands and make it more of a, a common practice? Yeah, so we're, you know, we're, we're working on that. That's, that's like I was talking about Daniela's talk. <laughs> um, so the idea is how can you incentivize people not just to use them when they, you know, if you're hiking, you know, you're, you know your buddy's down at the trailhead and you're going to talk back. That's sort of a, that's probably the most common use today. People aren't just walking out on the street and just being able to connect like they would with their cell phone. They're using it in like a walkie-talkie way. They know somebody's there to pick it up. Um, and the reason is, you know, no matter how big a fan you are, you're not going to remember to always have one turned on and just have it out there for everybody to use. Um, and, and we think, you know, adding just a little bit of incentive is the solution, but we don't want to add a, a centralized incentive. You know, you don't want to do it in a way that, that basically creates a new point of failure. This is the same story with Bitcoin. I mean, you could do PayPal. PayPal is also a, you know, person-to-person -person money. It's just there's one big centralized point of failure, and that's PayPal. Mm -hmm. um, so that's, that's like there's two, two sort of lessons you can get from Bitcoin and, and apply here to Mesh. One is that people will respond to incentives. I mean, the Lightning Network is, is really, I think, a good example of that. How many people got their first couple of sats, you know, for relaying on the Lightning Network? And you're like, okay, it's worth, you know, de minimis amounts. You know, it's worth like nothing. But boy, do you feel good when you get that. It's, it's not just the money. It's the feeling of I'm part of the network and this is like proof that I'm, I'm actually working it. Um, so, so, that's, that was what, so that's what we're working on is, is basically to take... Um, that incentive idea and bring it to mesh. And also the second idea is to bring the idea of a decentralized incentive, you know, not just make it something that only Gotenna operates, but is a protocol like Bitcoin that can be used by anybody who wants to build hardware. Um, and that maybe segues into this idea of, you know, why do we have this new entity called Global Mesh Labs? 
Um, that was that was founded very recently, um, and the the thought there is that we want to make something that isn't a Gotenna protocol. We want to make something that is used by other hardware manufacturers and is built on as an open source project by the community. Uh, and you know, Gotenna is definitely the sponsor of this, and they're they are our, our patron for doing it. But we don't want it to be a Gotenna only protocol. I think then it's again a centralized pro, you know centralized system. Yeah, and you don't want to have like five companies like all working on independent like proprietary sure. like networks. Like then we'll never get anywhere, right? The, yeah. And to yeah. take a step back, the protocol we're talking about is Lot 49, correct? Right. So we call it Lot 49. If you know the reference, uh, there's a, a book called Lot 49 about a shady uh, secret underground postal delivery service. Um, I didn't know this. Yeah. So uh, what's the story behind Lot 49? Well, I yeah, that's just the name. I mean, that's okay. just the name. But they're, they're, I just blanked on the author's name, but it's a guy you would have heard of. Um, but uh, I can't think of the name of the author now. Uh, Kind of the a, freaks will look it up and let us know. Freaks will look it up. Yeah, I blanked on drinking too much here. Um, but th that's sort of the idea is that you've got, you know, the way lot. So lot 49 is what we call it. And, and if you're familiar with lightning, which I think most of your, your uh, listenership here probably is, you know that as nodes relay um, value from peer to peer, they collect a small fee. Um, and there's also something in Lightning called, um, well, it's got various names, but it, it's, you can also include data potentially in that. So what Lot49 is, is really focusing on the data part of it. Um, with a small, so less value, more data. And nodes that relay the data collect a small piece of the fee. So in that way, it's really, it's really maps well onto Lightning. Um, and the, the real technical hurdle we have to, I mean, the protocol of Lightning is really well suited for this, we think. Um, but where we have some, you know, technical hurdles, it's mostly about the fact that mesh networks are low bandwidth. I mean, like Matt was saying, it's for send, you know, at least the Gotenna unit and really anything that's going to, you, you've always got this sort of trilemma, I think is the right term. Um, you know, you've got, you want to optimize for both power, range, and bandwidth. And it's impossible to optimize for all of them. If you want to go long range, you're going to have to use more power. If you want to go high bandwidth, you're going to have to use more power and, um, yeah, like, yeah, but power and, and then also the frequencies you use are going to be limited. So, um, so we try to make this lower band, you know, work on a low bandwidth system. I mean, GoTen is one example of a, of a pretty low bandwidth radio, but something you can carry around in your pocket. Um, there's other systems like HF radio. So Elaine, Elaine Au and Nick Sabo in 2017 announced the high frequency radio, which can go hundreds of miles. Uh, yeah, hundreds of miles. I think they went like um, uh, Rodolfo Novak. Yeah. He was able to send data from. He sent it to Adam Carey, the the, uh, oh, yeah. the father of podcasting. <laughs> runs the No Agenda podcast. Did it via ham radio. Right. And. But the way they did it, they sent private keys, right? It wasn't a transaction? Yeah, but the point is yeah. it's very low bandwidth. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they sent private keys also because hams, well, there's a whole story there. I mean, ham, you can't send encrypted information over amateur radio in the U.S. and maybe other places. Is it illegal well. or yeah, I, is it just illegal. technically not yeah. possible? No, it's illegal. It's totally possible, but you're not supposed to do it. Uh -huh. I mean, even what they did was illegal. Like you read Elaine's post about it, right? No, <laughs> yeah, I actually did like, post. Yeah. <laughs> Wired, Wired wrote it up and like, there was a bunch of people like, Oh, it's illegal. You shouldn't be doing it or whatever. And she just was like, you're all being a bunch of bitches. <laughs> <laughs> Elaine, Elaine is great. She's, she's incredible. <laughs> but my point was mostly just that there are a lot of systems where low bandwidth is important. And you really just like, and this is where it really meshes nice with Bitcoin. Cause Bitcoin's all about 
running on the least hardware or the last least bandwidth. It's all about minimal system. I mean, we're not Infura nodes. We want to have it as decentralized <laughs> as possible. So, so that and that mesh that goes meshes. Sorry, I was going to use that as a pun, but uh, you know, it goes well well with the idea of mesh networks. Where also you got to optimize for low bandwidth, small resource usage. Um, so yeah, so that so. Lot 49 is really about taking Lightning as it is and adapting it for low bandwidth systems. So it could run over HF, it could run over you know, these, these mesh radios, or even something like satellite uplinks. I mean, that's something that's coming around too. So you, Matt mentioned you talked about gateways. So you build out a network, and as long as you can reach a gateway, then you can, a common question we get with mesh is, well, how do you get over the Rockies? How do you get over the ocean? Gateways, I mean, it's just like the internet. So what is a gateway? A gateway would just be something that can both talk to the mesh, it has a mesh radio, and also has something else, either a satellite uplink, or maybe a fiber optic cable, maybe it's on the internet, or maybe it's got an HF radio. Anything that just moves you from sort of one mode of communicating to some other longer range mode. Or just, you know, just, so you don't think of meshing the world being everybody's connected on the same mesh, it's like the internet where you really, it's a network of networks. It's almost like, uh, it reminds me of like the Caddyshack Groundhog where you can just like come up out of nowhere. If be. Um, you just like patch it. Everywhere's just exactly. patches yeah. different yeah. things. And I imagine that just makes it easier to route around centralization. Like, hey, maybe if this gateway is connected to the ISP and they, they deny it, maybe this other gateway will not what, or something like that. What Mesh really helps with on like a day-to-day basis is like that last mile, that last five miles yeah. Uh, that's where you see like a lot of the major centralization happen, um, where you only have, you know, two internet providers that go into your apartment building or something like that. So if we can get, if we can route around that aspect and then, then you plug into the real internet, you know, the, the, the global internet, then it could solve a lot of issues for us. So the bandwidth issues that you were talking about earlier, what's the, how do we come up uh, how do we get over that hurdle? Is it more getting more hardware in more people's hands? Is it? Um... There's th- yeah, there's different approaches. I mean, you can do quite a lot of interesting things with low bandwidth. That's the great thing about cryptocurrencies, Bitcoin in particular, is it doesn't take a lot of data. I mean, a, nes- a couple of SMS messages and you send a transaction. You know, we're, we're looking at more, what do you do to negotiate a lightning transaction? It's really not much more data than sending a transaction. It just, it doesn't even have to go to the internet because you're just updating a channel between two people. Um, you need you do need internet because you got to kind of like anchor these things on the internet and close them on the internet. So there there are other issues around that for anybody you know who's kind of got that question. But um, so that one one answer is you don't need much bandwidth, honestly. And just like you know, the lower your resource usage is, the more decentralized it can be. And that's like just the fact that you want to be able to run your Bitcoin node as like a Raspberry Pi. You also want your device to be as cheap and low, you know and easy to run as as, as possible. Um, if but, you make it yeah. low cost, like people will plug more in, yeah. right? They won't yeah. care. They can, if they're $30 devices, $20 devices, they don't use that much power. They don't use that much bandwidth. Then you can, you, there's no loss to just plugging them in everywhere. Well, I guess that's the question I have. And like, this is why I'm like optimistic about Bitcoin long term is because I think there'll be dual purpose hardware. Do you, do you see like mesh networks getting built into dual purpose stuff? Uh, like oh, absolutely. I was going to say that next. So that was one answer is we don't need a lot of bandwidth. The other answer is you're carrying around in your pocket. I mean, everybody is carrying around in their pocket a two-way digital radio that can go, you know, super high bandwidth. Um, It's just 
that isn't going to be unlocked by the cell phone carriers. They have mm-hmm. no financial interest. They pay for that bandwidth, like, I don't know, millions, billions of dollars for that bandwidth or for that spectrum. Um, they're not going to willingly give up that, that ability to sort of, uh, you know, be the gatekeeper of that. Um, but if you can bootstrap on whatever frequencies we are allocated by our government to do mesh radio, and it isn't every frequency, like the f- mesh that you started with, uh, the first Cotena, that was using a frequency where you're not allowed to mesh. <laughs> it has a little longer range, but they just arbitrarily say you can't mesh. That's why there's no hops, right? So there was no hops. there was no yeah. encryption. So yeah. if you did hops without encryption, it, it might have been the be same. miserable, right? Yeah. And it might have been the same. Like some frequencies you can encrypt and some you can't. So. And then meanwhile, you guys have like the police version that's like way more powerful. Yeah. There's also, well, I mean, way more, way more. I mean, there's, there are licensed spectrum and unlicensed right. spectrum. And if you're a, like a first responder to like fighting forest fires, you can use, you're allowed to use other spectrum. And so we have another pro model, which we use for that. And that, that has the good advantage that these are already teams of people like we were talking about who are out, you know, hiking, you know, they're out fighting forest fires or doing whatever, you know, they're doing. So they already, you know, they, they've solved that zero start problem because yeah. they all have to use it. But, but it's a good point. There are other frequencies and other, we're limited to a certain wattage for these things too. Some of it is to keep the battery from dying, but some of it is just by law. It's crazy to think of like how this all like different like just even the concept of different frequencies like commuting on different sound waves and stuff like that. <laughs> it's uh, for somebody who's again a adult. Uh, it it when you try to comprehend all this, it's like ah, there's so many layers to it. Like it, so, there's so many fail safes. It seems in the mesh network, like especially if you can go to different frequencies. That correct? Am I correct in assuming that? Or yeah, I mean you're. You know, I, what I was really trying to make the point of is that your, your phone already is, is a capable of mesh communication. Mm-hmm. It's just the people who make it have no incentive to actually make that possible. So you're talking, I, you know, when I send you a text message, we're sitting right here, it's going to go to some base station, however far away the base station is, you know. And the higher bandwidth ones, you notice like 5G, you hear them up to 5G, they're going to need more base stations. It's higher bandwidth, so you need to have, you have less range. That's the trade-off with range power bandwidth um but why does it go to the base station why doesn't it just go to your phone you're sitting right here you know that that that's not a functionality you're allowed to have on your phone but it's capable of it it's really just a protocol change um so we're just waiting on wily uh entrepreneurs who want to give a finger to apple and other <laughs> cell phone provider or not even apple it would be like sprint and verizon and those but it's a cards. regulatory issue right, right? it's the right. same i mean you know like skype used to be p2p now it all runs through a centralized server. Did not know that. Microsoft bought it. Now it runs all through a centralized server. And it's just like the way the world goes. Like yeah. Bitcoin is an outlier. That's one of the reasons Bitcoin's so beautiful is because we're 10 years in and that hasn't happened yet. Boss. I mean, Bitcoin is a good example of, like you were saying, it's one of the rare examples where fundamentally the technology doesn't permit gatekeepers. This it's, seems so inefficient though. Like why <laughs> wouldn't we... Why wouldn't we just go straight to this if it's more like, why can I not just send a message to your cell phone instead of have to go to how, yeah. like, this it, seems like a human right issue. Is yeah, it? It, it isn't necessarily more efficient. I mean, centralizations like banks are more, you know, centralizing telecom is more efficient because they know where to put their base stations. They like central plan. We're going to get coverage. I mean, when we were rolling out cell phones until they cell phone got in there and they got their whatever, you know, their license to do that area. 
there was really, you know, there wasn't the density where people would actually buy a cell phone. So they had that chicken and egg problem they solved with centralization. So it's more of an economies of scale problem than anything? Yeah, you could say that. I mean, it's, it's like there is advantages. Things are more efficiently centrally planned, but they're only more efficient to sort of like jumpstart. They aren't more resistant to attack. They're not more, they're more, they're more easy to attack. Um, We've got a recorder, recorder tumble here. Oh, <laughs> oh is that on me? Okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, you see that all the time in the Bitcoin land, too. I mean, it's much easier to run a centralized exchange. You can just, you know, kickstart some liquidity. And or then, a shitcoin, a centralized shitcoin. Right, sure. It's much easier than, than trying to really ground up, sort of bootstrap something. And I think that's really, it's the bootstrapping is, is the hard part. It is more efficient if you have, like, now that everybody has cell phones, bootstrapping a mesh network on your cell phone, I would think would be pretty easy. Cause, but if you think of a world without centralized you know, centralized communication, that might have been harder to jumpstart. If you just imagine, like, there's no cell phones, and now you're going to do, like, a mesh cell phone, that probably would have been hard to kickstart. Uh, you know, not kickstart from the company standpoint, but just to, like, get a, get a critical mass of people. But now we've got it. Now we've got this critical mass. Now the problem is control, right? Well, now the people who are, yeah, that people that are the gatekeepers of that yeah. centralized system are not going to give it up. <laughs> uh, so how do you route around them? Well, I mean, we have a frequency, so we have what the Gotenna mesh, that's, that's a, I see that as sort of a little wedge in there, you know, you can, if you can create a system where people start to experience mesh networking and experience being able to communicate without the centralized uh, provider, we hope that you can expand that wedge. I mean, part of it is getting people to start using it, and then once people are using it, they're going to start asking, well, why can't I have a faster mesh network? Why can't I have more spectrum allocated to mesh networks? Because what you really now, people don't just become consumers of communication. They become providers of communication. Like you and you and you, you know, everybody becomes their own cell phone company. It seems like I'm hive mind almost at yeah. that point, right? Like, uh... Yeah. And just, and again, I got to always bring it back to Bitcoin, of course. And, you know, Bitcoin, we're all our own little mini bank. And we've all got these relationships through our nodes with other little mini banks anonymously. You know, there's an analogy there too. And of course the banks that are, you know, big centralized banks don't want to acknowledge that, but it's, it's a viable way to do things. And I think it will become a viable way for communication. And I mean, that's what global mesh net labs, you know, that's what we're trying to push is that idea that everybody can just can be their own provider and consumer of communication. And so with lot 49 in particular, how are you guys, how does the mechanics of it work? Like when you're sending a lightning transaction through a mesh network, do you have to communicate like, hey, I'm sending this through a lot 49 protocol. Therefore, I have to set aside a fee to pay this routing node. Yeah. Yeah. It's, you know, the simplest way to start <laughs> thinking about it is um, if you, you know, in lightning, you have to establish a channel. So you'll have to establish channels with people with whom you're in radio communication range. Um, and that that would have to go somehow there are different ways to think about it we can talk about like the more advanced cases but initially it'll go through a gateway it'll go through some sort of internet gateway to set up that channel um and when i want to send a message now i'm going to attach i'm going to pay some to my next hop and they're going to forward that payment on to the next hop the next hop till it gets to the destination and then when the destination of that message so think of it like a sms don't think of it like ip you know traffic think of it i'm sending you a I, I'm sms message or a signal message an encrypted message i don't even know how that works yeah well yeah it probably works in a similar way without the incentives you know it's just hopping over internet nodes instead of mesh nodes um but then when it gets there the person who receives that message is going to return a secret this is the same as the lightning network and that secret is going to come back over the mesh and as each node gets it 
now they have some evidence that would allow them, if they wanted to, to go to the full Bitcoin network and collect some very small payment. Um, but because they want to keep talking, they don't do that. They don't drop the payment on the, on the, on the internet over a gateway. They just keep it in their pocket because maybe you're going to send more value and more messages. And this is, again, same as, same as the Lightning Network. And that goes on until you know, either you know, decide to break down the communication or somebody goes out of range. Um, and then you know, at some point, maybe you do drop it on the internet and get your payment. Or, or you keep it open and you just keep making those payments as they come up. Um, is that enough of an explanation? I don't know if I was clear, but... <laughs> no, that makes sense to me. Um, yeah. And it's... Oh, I, there was one thing I was going to say. Sorry. There was, one, there was one other thing. You asked about, is this like compatible with the Lightning Network, I think? You were wondering like... Or... Yeah, like so if, would I be able... Like that's what I, I guess what I'm trying to visualize and conceptualize in my mind. Like if I'm working from my... Let's just use our, our PTC pay server node. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm trying to send communicate with somebody or send a lightning transaction to somebody who's receiving it via Gotenna, like would I be able to send it from my node through a Gotenna mesh, net, mesh network or? Yeah, I mean, there would be some protocol changes. And the nice thing about lightning versus sort of base Bitcoin is they have this idea of feature bits. So nodes can sort of support or not support certain features. So they would have to be a feature bit for whether or not it's, you know, your lightning payment has also got data basically going along with it. Uh, and there, there's some, um, what do they call it? Uh, there's, there's something already that's been sort of proposed for lightning, not, not lot 49 version, but, but lightning generally. Um, I mean, lot 49 isn't lightning primarily to send lightning payments. To send Gotenna messages. You're, right? you're using a lightning esque system to incentivize nodes to relay your Gotenna messages. Yes. Right? Yeah. Yeah. But but it, it's important to know that this isn't a different network. I mean, what makes up the Lightning Network, really the thing that ties together payments both on the Lightning Network and on something like Log49 is the fact that the receiver of the payment slash message reveals a secret. Um, so you could imagine, for example, like maybe your gateway is the block set, is the is the block stream block set. And how do you pay for data on the Blockstream block set is you make a lightning payment and then and you give it some data. I mean, it, the protocol, of course, isn't the same, but it's the idea is that it could go over the internet also. It doesn't have to just go over the mesh. The mesh parts would be optimized in a way. You know, they would use a different sort of messaging system, but the, the thing that would tie it together would be the fact that you're revealing a secret and that flows backwards. Yeah. And, and, and those contracts that you're, you're essentially updating contracts with each payment or each message, that... That part would all be sort of compatible with Lightning. Yeah, I temporarily got confused between TX10 and Lot49. There, Lot49 oh. <laughs> is just an incentive network to incentivize people to to relay GoTenna yeah. messages. Yeah, and TX10 yeah. relays Bitcoin trans transactions via the mesh yeah. network. And I mean, there is a little way you could sort of think of those things together. Is what if your message was a Bitcoin transaction? Yes. So that would be a nice way to tie that all together. That's what I was trying to visualize there. With yeah. That, that lightning experience. But then in that case, it would just be probably the data, if, like the package of data that goes along through the mesh and eventually gets to a gateway and then gets onto the internet. Could be a very high value message, you know. If you think of it, it's not just, you know, shooting the shit. It's a Bitcoin transaction is the data that is your payload. 
So, <laughs> but going back to like sat node, it's been crazy seeing that, like the messages people have been sending to the sat node. <laughs> yeah. I, I think, love that Twitter feed they've got. <laughs> yeah. It's like Mr. Hoddle said, it's, it's a boon for free speech. You don't have no idea who's sending those messages at <laughs> yeah. all. I mean, like look at, uh, I mean, that's what I thought was so powerful about WikiLeaks, right? Was that I would watch movies and 50% of the movie was irrelevant because the protagonist, like right in the beginning, could just dump it on WikiLeaks. Like you didn't have to go through like all the bullshit, right? And it's like the same thing with Satnode. Like you could just dump it on, on the satellite and anyone who's running the satellite can get it. Um, you know, obviously the Twitter bot isn't censorship resistant, but anyone who's, who's got the satellite and is listening will receive it. And then if you couple that with something like PGP, then the leaker or whoever it is can develop a reputation where people start to believe if, if he says things that turn out to be true, they start to believe that key. And then he has a captive audience like around the world with no middleman really, except, you know, Blockstream to a degree. But ideally we'll have more than just Blockstream running these things, right? So you'll have multiple different venues where you can go through. Are you yeah. kidding me sending a message through satellite and Blockstream runs it? <laughs> Freaks. It's a Bilderberg they, satellite. They've pa they paved the way. Thank God they launched that satellite to prove the use case. The use case is proving to be pretty crazy. There's yeah. one guy who sends out the news every day for for different areas of the world, and he, he signs the whole thing with his PGP key. And I thought that was just really cool. Just like your you know, like your daily news. You know, yeah. just from like some random dude. And there's yeah. been some people sending uh pay spins of, of uh paywalled content as well so like <laughs> routing around that as well wow i can't i never heard of these things i can't even keep up but it's it is it is the idea of you know decentralized communication now sure maybe you say the satellites are centralized or the blocks yeah. sat company is sat centralized but there is nothing stopping somebody else from doing this i mean exactly. that's key that's what that's why i love blockstream because they proved the way like holy yeah. shit and and i mean they could also you can send an encrypted payload to the box sat but then you have, would to, have to encrypt or decrypt it on the other end. Yeah, you need to get the key to to people another way. But you could presumably uh, send an encrypted one. This is like James Bond X. Yeah, that was where I was thinking too. We were at the spy museum not too long ago, and it's like a dead drop. You could totally do dead drop information yeah, dead drop. anywhere in the world. Uh, like spies used to do this. They would leave a message or, or you know whatever you know leave the it bench in. at the park or something yeah and then the yeah. next guy would come so they wouldn't know you know but this is it totally makes that redundant you can do it digitally <laughs> because yeah. the thing about the satellite is that it's passive right like it's just broadcasting yeah. data so if you have a satellite somewhere you're receiving it no one knows you're receiving it no one you're not pinging for specific information there's no identifiable information mm -hmm. there right so it's, it's dramatically different than, like, for instance, like, if you run a full node and you're getting your block information from the, from the sat node, like, no one knows you're pulling that block information. You do it through the internet, everyone knows, like, you're pulling Bitcoin blocks. Let's do uh, a hypothetical uh, live in the boonies cypherpunk dream house. What are you going to have? <laughs> so you're going to have a satellite set up. Of course, gonna, the block sat, right? You're going to have the block sat set up. You're going to have a Gotenna. You should probably yeah. have some sort of, you know, hydro power, you know, that's all you need to hydro and solar. You need to have a little yeah. stream that runs through my, uh, I have family friends who live in upstate New York and he like dammed up a little stream that runs through his property and just put a PVC pipe and he just pulls some, he pulls some, some energy from the stream that no, no, for, for energy, he pulls some energy oh. from the stream. He put a little, he dammed it up with concrete and, and just put, put a couple of PVC pipes with turbines in them. 
boss. And just gets a little <laughs> bit of free constant energy. Yeah, and this is where things like, like the fact that you can run the, this is recently they've announced like that you can run the block set. It doesn't have to be a PC. It can be running on, a, I think, ARM64 they had it running. Yeah, the ROCK64. ROCK64, yeah. that's what it was. So, so you don't need a lot of power. You know, maybe your hydro is plenty. Uh, you know, rain or, you know, like whether it's day or night, you can still run that little thing on, you know, pretty paltry amount of data, uh, of, of energy. But if we're talking, of course, we're talking about mesh today, of course, you can download your blocks, but if you want to pay somebody, you need a way to get it out there. So maybe mesh, you know, maybe you got a mesh node up in a tree and maybe you've even breadcrumbed it back to civilization. Um, and that's your way to get your transactions out. So that's yeah. The other one way. of the nice things I like about Gotenna is so there's all these different projects that are working on mesh. The nice thing about Gotenna is that it's just any old average user can buy it, and to set up power for it, it's a micro USB port, which there's like a million peripherals that can go into a micro USB port. So you can set up external battery packs that have micro USB so that ports, was, solar panels that have micro USB ports, who, strap them to trees and who, stuff really easily. Who was the guy in uh, New Zealand? Was it Coinsure? Co- yeah. Coinsure, yeah. Coinsure. That's what I was curious, like how, because he put them in bags and put them in trees and you were he saying- put them in socks. In socks. And you said, <laughs> yeah. but you said they had like an hour of battery time, so you would have to- hook no, A day. A day, actually. A day. A day, yeah. excuse me. Yeah. A day. Um, yeah, but you put it in an enclosure, you throw an external battery pack in there, then you throw a solar panel. The solar panel charges the battery awesome. pack through micro USB, which is a standard, right? And then the battery pack charges the Gotenna through micro USB, and then you have perpetual power with some layaway through the external battery, just in case there's you know cloudy, cloudy week, cloudy or whatever. days or whatever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it, that's super easy. Like any schmuck can do that, right? Like you can just strap that to a tree and. That's crazy to think about. Yeah. Like, how do we get this all in a box? Like, your, your satellite, your mesh network with the solar panel and external Well, what's battery. really fun is if you go to the Gotenna forums, there's, like, all these guys that are, like, basically breaking the warranty, like, like completely Avoiding breaking the, the terms of yeah. service <laughs> yeah, of, of Gotenna, but it's awesome. Yeah, there's a great builder community, and, you know, our engineers have been supportive, and they'll tell you, you know, solder on this wire, solder on that wire. And, uh, you know, they can, we, there are things that we can't do as a FCC licensed company, but, you know, if somebody wants to break open their case, they can get pretty creative. In fact, there's even a company, I just blanked on their name in California, I think, who is selling modified Gotenna's. They put them in a Pelican case with a solar panel and give you the full thing with the battery and, and people have, uh, people have put those up there. Do you two consider this a, an absolute necessity going forward? Like these alternative networks? Well, I mean, I think it's a necessity to have some sort of decentralized communication. Uh, I mean, maybe in the U.S. we don't need it right away, but there are some countries where I think it's, you know, obviously Venezuela is showing what can happen. A lot of these countries, I think, you know, you always got to think outside the U.S. We need it as kind of a convenience, I would say, but there are some places, China, for example, where, you know, this is going to become something you really need to survive um, if, if things go south. Are you seeing it uh, being adopted in these areas? I don't think there's huge adoption of, of any of this sort of mesh stuff right now, but there's a huge interest. Uh, mm-hmm. There's a few other projects. Uh, BTC Ven is a is a, on Twitter. They're Shadow building BTC another. Ven. I saw yeah. the devices at Bitcoin 2019. Their their devices are like they're these little tiny. Yeah. Yeah, they're uh, using low a, cost devices. Yeah, yeah, they've got a cool idea, uh, and it, it shows that you know they obviously are living there and they know what people need. Um, and, and decentralized communication. I mean, it's, it's the poster child for why you need that. A, because the power is going out, and B, because the government's corrupt, you know, and, and is, you know, shutting people down. I, 
I was one thing I was going to mention about the satellite. If you are like mining in Venezuela, you don't want people to know that you're receiving Bitcoin yeah. data, and you maybe want you may not have you know reliable internet or, or low cost internet. That's a good use for something like a satellite receiver. Right, but you still need to transmit. Yeah, but the cool thing is there you don't need to transmit very much. If you're right. mining, you just got to send out a block header when you get a block. Right. Use a VPN or <laughs> Yeah, or like use that. it. Yeah, you could use a VPN, but if you if you could also use mesh. Nobody's doing that right, right now, but in theory you could go the other way with mesh. And you could always if it was high value enough for you, you can sh- like basically right. do like the least decentralized mesh ever and like wire, you know, <laughs> like set it up yourself yeah. to get to some other housing development somewhere yeah. else. I mean, we, we don't see anybody doing this, but I could see from a minor perspective, you might, you might have your low bandwidth, you know, ISDN or something, but you might also have a mesh backup. You know, right. that, that could be, it's, it's a lot of these things work well together if you're worried about being really resilient. Um, I mean, I think as far as necessity goes, like in America, we can probably get away with encrypting our traffic through the regular ISPs. And the only way they'd be able to enforce anything would be to just ban encrypted traffic, which would just take down the whole internet, basically. Like, the whole internet runs Well, they want to be able to, right? Because of the... Well, like, your banking sites and stuff. Like, you just can't, like, use the internet if, if they just block all encryption. But again, wasn't there a Supreme Court case in which encryption was deemed... Yeah. A- Basically, free speech. Yeah, that's the you know, the PGP on a T-shirt. Right. That was yeah. like this old school cypherpunk stuff, basically. But, I mean, I think a cypherpunk would tell you that we Don't shouldn't rely that. on that, right? right. You should, like the the Supreme Court shouldn't protect that, you know, for us. Yeah, there's a whole debate too about. I mean, you can talk about it's a right, you know, right to communicate or right to privacy, you know, whatever. But rights, you know, the, I think the cypherpunk manifest, you know, cypherpunk philosophy is that. Really, the rights are the ones that you enable for yourself. Exactly. Taking, and that's a, it's, this is reminding me of my conversation with Connor Brown that I dropped today. And that's like really the power of Bitcoin and the, the beauty of Bitcoin is it helps you realize this, this need for individual sovereignty. And, and not, no tool on earth, I would argue, enables this more than Bitcoin at the moment. And sure. It's uh, how do you wake people up? Like, people are so dependent on the state apparatus and, People don't care about this shit. How do we get people to care? They will. They will. We put we put more and more of our before lives the online. boots before their boots on the neck though. Like no, how- they won't until <laughs> the boots on their neck, and the boot will be on their neck soon. So it will happen like that. Everyone has their moment. For me, right? We were talking about it earlier. It was BitTorrent. It was um, I saw throttling with video games. Uh, it was snowed the Snowden leaks. Uh, we saw like the Equifax leak, right? You know, all these things, the Facebook leak, all these things. You see this data leak. You see your rights get infringed on. You see something that you enjoyed doing or that you've, you found the powerful that gets blocked. And then you start trying to, as a human, you're curious and you try and figure out like how to get around it. I had a, I have like a free credit car- karma account. They give me my credit card report each month. And at first time I checked, like, the list of companies that I've had data breaches on. <laughs> For some reason, ClassPass was on there. I'm pretty sure I might have applied to a job at ClassPass <laughs> at one point in my life. For a product manager job or something like that. But I never signed up for their service. And somehow, ClassPass leaked my data. ClassPass was like a bundle uh, workout uh, program, right? Yes. Like you'd pay a monthly around. fee and yeah. you could... Go I think to, they're burning a shit ton of money there, right? I would imagine. Yeah. But uh, I was just like, what the fuck? How did my data get to them? And how did they leak it? 
already. Like, I haven't even used their services. No, yeah. I mean, my cousin is a musician. Uh, everyone should listen to Odell Fox. Search for it on Spotify. Odell Fox. Yeah, he's doing the name proud. Um, I went to one of his concerts in the city. I signed up for some, it was like some random ticket selling AXS? site. AXS? No, I think it was Ticketfly. Okay. And they lost I, they, my, my, my billing address, my shipping address, everything. My email, oh, my phone number, everything. To- just for this one. Like, I go to see my cousin's fucking show, and that's, you know, it's like, there goes your OPSEC. It's just all gone. And this happened to me when I went to go interview Jack Dorsey in San Francisco. I landed and go to get cash out at the ATM. And, yeah, my, a merchant leaked my data, so Bank of America cut my card down. And I literally was like, thank God I had the Cash App. Shout out to Cash App, sponsor of the pod. I was able to <laughs> transfer money and use that, but I would have been shit out of luck. I had to go get a I new debit card. You, I would have sent you some Marty Marty. You could have just let me know. No, I didn't have access to my bank account. Like, it wasn't, I had money. I could have sent you some Bitcoin, bro. Oh. There you go. That's true. There's definitely a big problem or a big difference between this idea of sort of push and pull, too. Right. Credit cards, mm-hmm. it's a pull system. So they, uh, you know, I travel from different places, you know, from all over the country. And when I, when I get somewhere, if, if I didn't give them that notice, there's always the chance that you go to pump gas or something and you uh, denied because their system is relying on surveilling you and knowing where you're at and knowing if that's a legit purchase. Because, I mean, you got your private key on your credit card. You're walking around with that. Anybody who's got your name can basically clone your card and, and pump gas. So the whole system is, is just surveillance is built in. That's the way it is. And that's, I think it's, it's important to remember that what the you know, 80s, 90s cypherpunks were against, that's what they were against. They saw credit cards. People weren't using credit cards you know, like before the 70s. And they were looking at, well, you know, that was the sort of the privacy problem they were worried about. And it all came to pass. It's all true. It, everything they were worried about, censorship, surveillance, it just, it's, now we just live with it. We don't even think about it. I mean, that's, that's when people, um, when, when we talk about privacy on Bitcoin, for instance, right, um, it could be better. Like, I'm major proponent of trying to make this as, as, as good as it could be. The alternative that we currently live in is fucking horrible. <laughs> right? The thing that everyone uses for payments right now is absolutely horrible. They can tell so much shit by your buying patterns. It's crazy. Well, that, and then you have services like Venmo where people just openly say what they're spending yeah. on. Yeah, well, those people are just dead to me. There's, <laughs> no, there's no saving those people. Uh, they know exactly what they're doing. Uh, fortunately, Venmo has s- since switched to default private. Good. But it's like the OG Venmo users that have, are still on, on public are the ones who broadcast. I was one of those idiots before, but then I was like, what am I doing? Why does everybody need to know I'm like, buying or I hated sending? It. it pissed me off so much. Right? Every time I went on the Venmo app, it just triggered me. <laughs> <laughs> and think about, I mean, cell phones, you know, bring it back to communication. You, you know, that, that's metadata that's really important. It's what you're buying, who you're, you know, where you're shopping. But now we've got literally, you know, our GPS phone tracking this all through a centralized place and everybody you communicate with. I mean, if you wanted to, if you want, if you want to know, you know, like, you know, this is what like people who look at terrorism, they, they want to know the metadata. They don't really care, you know, who you're, what you're saying. If they know who you're talking to, they know you're, they know enough about you that they shut, they can shut you down. That's a lot of what our, what Snowden revealed was like our yep. drone program was based off of metadata and, and metadata we're finding is not always as accurate as the, the analysts proclaim it is, right? You have people, you have 
uh, drones bombing wedding parties of innocent people and stuff like that. Yeah. Well, they were maybe 90% right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, that's, it's tragic. And I mean, you're right. That's what Snowden revealed is that this metadata, the metadata that's tied to your communication. I mean, why should your phone be tied to a single number? Like, why can't you just tell somebody, hey, you know, my number with you is going to be this, you know, like a public private key system. That's probably the worst one, right? Is the phone numbers. Yeah. Well, because, you know, they have nowadays they carry with us for like basically our life and people treat them like, I mean, social security numbers also are horrible. They should not be treated as private information. They're not private at all anymore. But they're basically treated as identifiers, right? They're treated as almost like a social security number on a global scale. And that's really bad. That's why I was actually very impressed and happy to see Apple with their uh, random email generator. But part of me, I like, I'm very happy about it. And I'm caught off guard and, and pleasantly surprised. But then part of me is like, is this like the Trojan Honey horse? Pot. Is yeah. this like... You know, like, oh, like, if you want privacy, you go with this closed source company that, you know, is running proprietary everything. Um, but even so, like, the merchants aren't able to connect your data between each other. Did you see what happened with Zoom? Yeah. Okay, but did you see what Apple did after the Zoom thing? No. Apple forced... Oh, an upgrade. A, ...to stop the what Zoom was doing, the vulnerability that Zoom was doing. But... What if they did it for something else, right? Yeah. Like everyone thanked them for flexing there, but they could have flexed on, on Bitcoin Core, right? In what way? They could have just said, Don't, stopped, you're not allowed to stopped, download this QT. Stop Bitcoin Core from running on, on OS X. Ah. But instead, they stopped Zoom's background web server application, so you, right? So we're basically depending on a benevolent dictator now. Exactly. Yes. I mean, there was a long time when you couldn't put Bitcoin apps on your iOS phone, right? Yeah, it's so, still hard to get them. Going. No, but we have we have like fifth pillar elements in uh, <laughs> in Apple, so That's we're good. good. Shout yeah, out to the here, Apple yeah. Pay team; they're listening. We got you. thank you guys. Keep stacking sets. Um, no, but it is. Is it too far gone? The centralization of all these services, internet service providers, cell phone providers. We hope not. Yeah. I mean, we hope people will, will go to decentralized options for communication, for money. I, I, th I mean, one of the things that I find, a, I find is sort of the compelling reason. People have asked us, why did you build on Bitcoin? Like, why did you do this Lot 49 stuff on Bitcoin? I mean, there's, you know, we started in 2017. There was kind of a lot of, you know, alternatives, you might say. <laughs> a lot of pressure to do an ICO. Yeah, we, we never had that pressure. But, but of course, it's got to be considered because there's different technological trade-offs you take when you go with Bitcoin. Uh, and, um, but my, I think my argument and what I think is a really compelling argument is that the Bitcoin community s is, is a very unique community and that they see the need for decentralized communication and, and the zero star problem doesn't mean how do you get the world to use something? It's how do you get enough people that it's useful and you don't need a whole world to do it. You just need a community of people who are motivated to do it. And I think the Bitcoin community is that like wedge community who's going to, be growing. I mean, they'll be growing because Bitcoin's going to be growing, but they're also sort of educated about why you want decentralized communication. You know, you want to be able to send this high value communication, my Bitcoin transaction, and you want to do it anonymously. Everything is built around anonymity. So I think that's, um, yeah, I mean, that's, it's not just the technology of Bitcoin, which is compelling for decentralized communication, but the community of Bitcoin that that is motivated to actually be that early adopter of that technology. It helps you like jumpstart. You need to get to that critical mass point. Yeah. 
No, but again, go back to like I've said this for a long time that I think hardware is like the Trojan horse in in being profitable in this this space. I, people yell at me and tell me I'm an idiot, but Rodolfo's I, doing pretty well. He's doing pretty well, but again, <laughs> going back to this is the, the theme of for Marty for this podcast. I am adult, and but I bought a lot of hardware and tested a lot of hardware and run a lot of hardware and it is forced me as someone who considers himself a low information user to experiment with this stuff and learn more and, and, and again, learn about the importance of why to run this stuff and why you should contribute. And again, Bitcoin has these natural forces that force you this way. Marty, you're not a low information user. Just <laughs> FYI. Okay. If you're a low information user, then we're set. We're like, we're so good. It's, I mean, low information user in the subset of the 0.1% of Bitcoin. Hey, there you go. Okay. Yeah. yeah. yeah we are all early adopters still. This is true. <laughs> no, but it's, um, it's fascinating. It's crazy that we all find ourselves here. Let's, let's go back to your childhood. So like what, what growing up with your dad and your brother in particular, like what were the messages that you tried to imbue? Cause that's what we were talking about. You're, you're trying yeah. to figure out how to imbue these messages <laughs> in your children. Yeah. We were talking before the pod about, I, you know, I, I think back now, I've got kids, I'm thinking like, how did my dad make me into a libertarian, you know, or a liberty, freedom-minded guy? How can I brainwash my own kids that way? And there's nothing I can think of, really, unfortunately. I draw a blank. It was, it was very subtle, and I don't think he was trying. I mean, it's not like he was pushing us to read this stuff, but, you know, I think, uh, I don't know. I've got no answer to that, but, um, but Bitcoin is kind of that for society in a way. It's giving people a reason to think about it, um, so I hope... I hope uh, Bitcoin will like open the eyes of, I mean, I've got like, um, my wife's got some, some nephews that, well, you know, I've given them their, you know, they have a birthday, I give them a little Bitcoin and that's got a powerful effect. <laughs> really? You make him, oh yeah, they, I mean. How did you, how did you give it to them? Did you give them a paper wallet? Did you tell them uh, to download it? Yeah, paper wallet? wallets generally is how I've done it. Uh, I think um, my brother actually just gave some to, to one, of the, one of the nephews and I think he actually he opened a wallet and transferred it to, like he got the mobile wallet. Uh, kids, I mean, that's the great thing about the, the youth of today. They all have mobile phones. They're all, you know, they don't, they have never stepped foot in a bank. They're never going to step foot in a bank if they can help it. So the idea is a lot less, you know, it's not a big hurdle for them to think about. I, I sent my 13-year-old cousin a uh, birthday present, uh, $250 worth of Bitcoin on Open Dime. And in the gift card, it's in the, in the card it said, um, there's $250 worth of Bitcoin on here parentheses the amount of sats because you got a denominated sats for the ute and i was like figure it out and i don't know if it's gonna if he's if it's just gonna go in the garbage and it'll never go or whatever but i think like that's the strategy you give them you let them just dive the hell into it you know how old is he 13 boss yeah he'll figure it out dude for our youtube channel um the dude that created the app that allowed me to basically backlog all the episodes and upload them at once. The back catalog. Was 16 years old. That's badass. He, he emailed me. Talk about like a, an ambitious 16-year-old. I don't know, remember his name off the top of my head right now, but he emailed me. His name's Riley. Forget his last name. Riley Wars, maybe. Maybe I do remember his name. He cold he, emailed you? Cold emailed me. He's like, yo, I, no, I noticed you have a podcast. And you're not on my YouTube? Mom, my mom listens to podcasts on YouTube. You're missing like a big market. Like I created this app to to allow you to download all your your. How much do we pay for that? Nine bucks a month. It's not that bad. That's not bad to download. So like, what we do, you're not going to manually upload? No, he picks gonna up our RSS feed RSS? and downloads it automatically to YouTube. Hmm. 
Yeah. I mean, it's the entrepreneur. You know, that's all no, like entrepreneurial. Yeah, it's sixteen. Great. Well, my favorite was uh, Spudio or War, War or whatever. What's his name? Uh, yeah, Rashid. Ra- Rashid. Yeah. Who's been hacking the hardware? He wallets. like hacked the treasure at like fourteen or whatever. Yeah. These kids are on it, man. Gen Z, we uh, we discount them. They're on TikTok and all that stuff. Them. I have faith in the youth. I do too. You don't have to have faith in like all 400 million youth. You know, like there'll be a solid 50 mil of them. You know, that's the, those are the guys who will lead us. The intolerant minority. Yeah, that, that's how it is in every generation. You know, the majority of people are just whatever. Yeah, normies, if you will. Sorry, didn't want to be disparaging there. But, but your point is also, like in Bitcoin, a lot of people talk, uh, how are we going to make this something that everybody can use? We actually don't need everybody. <laughs> yeah. we, need, we need enough, but we don't need everybody. But what I think of is, so like, for instance, we have Signal, right? I, I'm an Android user. I love Signal. It's a step up above text messaging, right? It's the closest we have to iMessage. But the, the most used encrypted messenger in America is iMessage, right? Because it was default on a bunch of people's phones that they already had and have no idea that they're using encryption. If I get that green bar on my iPhone, I'm like, you heathen. So that's my issue, right? My issue is, especially someone that's, so so I'm privacy focused. I like running Android because it's open. Um, I've always run Android. I've never had an iPhone, but I, have pangs of it, I realize like if in, especially in my fiat job like if I switch to iPhone the majority of my communications will be automatically encrypted because I will have everyone who's on iMessage by default and then all most of the Android users have switched over to Signal at this point so I'll, I can hit them up on Signal and so th- when I when I start to think about Bitcoin I I do have some small concerns there in terms of um, can, can we get people to actually like adopt this thing? Because I've tried to get, I basically, I've been for the last two years or three, however long Signal has been strong, been trying to get iPhone users to install Signal and 95% of the time they install it once, they link their phone number and then they uninstall it and then I accidentally don't message them for six months because it goes to their signal and they don't check it and it's a fucking mess. I love signal. Signal is one of my... uh... But you don't check it often, right? Yes, I do. Okay. I got notifications on, so I I check it whenever I get a notification. But then on on the bright side is something like Telegram, which has like somehow masked a huge network effect in a matter of like four years and is not a default app in any kind of way. I mean, it could have better encryption, obviously. It's not by default and all these other issues, but that is pretty impressive that they could do something like that, so. Yeah, it's the uh, the odd question for these apps and UI and UX in general. Is it luck of the draw? Is it word of mouth? What is it? Is it experience? Because um, Telegram and Signal seem like pretty similar experiences in my opinion. As a user. I mean, well, Signal requires a phone number. Telegram doesn't, which is a major, I think, a major difference. I mean, I think that's why I took off in crypto, right? Was because I don't want to give you my fucking phone number uh, if I don't know who you are. Like, you have it. We communicate on Signal sometimes. Oh, yeah, that's true. But, like, in the beginning, it was Telegram, right? Because I didn't want to give you my phone number. I think one is open source. Like, Signal is open source, but I don't think Telegram is, is it? Right. No, it isn't. Yeah. I think and that held The it. encryption is proprietary, too. Oh. 
Telegram yeah. launched an ICO as well. Aren't they supposed to start implementing Yeah, the ton token or whatever. Yeah. We'll see how that works. But out. Telegram is more useful for group chats where That's Signal right, yeah. doesn't compete with that. Signal's group chats are weak. And uh, Telegram has like channels with like 400 people in them that are like community, communicating pseudonymously. You guys get pseudonymously. Yeah. yeah, there you go. Um, yeah, we've, we've, I don't want to say derailed. We're on, we're on a big tangent here about like decentralized systems. And, and again, how do, I, I like the point that you brought up. We don't need to make it Vogue. We only need a critical mass of people who use it to, to make it work. Well, yeah, I mean, it's not that we wouldn't, you benefit from having more people. I mean, yes. that, that was the point. I think, uh, again, in this, they always go back to the cypherpunk manifesto. They, they're sort of saying, we can't have privacy unless everyone has privacy. You know, if you're the only guy with the mask on, you're not really that private. <laughs> there was somebody like that at Bitcoin 2000. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember that dude walking around? He like beads coming Yeah, we out? all knew who he was. But yeah. I, don't, I, don't, I didn't see his face. You never saw his no, face. No, but I was so. like, you're drawing more attention than you are. Yeah, it's not we a, didn't know yeah. who it was. But for Bitcoin, you also, I mean, there's this, this philosophy too that you want the system, you, you, you know, you, who is the enemy? You know, who's going to shut down Bitcoin? It's yeah. going to be a state government. It's going to be something like that. And yeah. the more the, you want it to be harder to attack than defend. That's that's cryptography in a nutshell. That's what I don't get when I like argue with shit coiners. I'm like, we're like, it's state resistance. Like, that's what we're going for. They're like, no, the state's never going to go after us. Then I'm like, what the fuck are we doing here? We might as well just be doing PayPal because like, oh, PayPal's just voluntarily blocking people's transactions, right? How, yeah, how ass backwards is that? Like, and then the other thing I'd like to touch, Zcash, did you see it came out that Zcash has had one to three shielded transactions per day? Like if you one, have- One, two, three? Yeah, one, one. Out of how many overall transactions? Like three transactions per day were private transactions. No, but on like average. how many transactions happened on the Zcash? I don't know, like probably a couple thousand or something. Yeah. I don't know for sure. Absurd. But still- I'm going like, to say it now. I'm a little whiskey drunk. I think Zcash is a honeypot. I think Zcash is a- but, I've said that two years ago or whatever. I got into the front page R slash Monero is the easiest fucking thing in the world. But uh, I mean, yeah, I mean, how do you run a privacy focused business? Not be inherently private. In America with American investors. With JP Morgan as one of your main investors. Yeah. It's a little sketchy. I was saying that earlier, too. I mean, this is an interesting like meta question is how do you like fund a Bitcoin business when the whole thing is based on getting rid of gatekeepers. Exactly. I think that that is not really, nobody's cracked that. If you look at who's making money in Bitcoin, it's the exchanges, totally centralized, totally, you know, they're kowtowing to every KYC AML they can. Not necessarily. What about like, I guess like, so like Binance is now bending the knee, but I like, like Bitfinex and BitMEX are like cowboy companies, right? Yeah, so far. Let's give a shout out to them. I mean, so far, I mean, I think BitMEX will will probably be more resilient in the end because they're Bitcoin only. I think the first principle design of being Bitcoin only closed loop system. No was, fiat. No fiat was genius. That's, in that is, it's that not is shit coins that we're talking about. It's no fiat yes. is the key. Yes. I mean, shit coins, the ultimate shit coin. But, no, they could, but you can only, from what I understand, deposit and withdraw Bitcoin. Bitcoin, you, that's you what I'm saying. It's other the things. no fiat is the key. Yeah, but like even... The, but they have like shitcoin swaps. Yeah, you can short. You can short a lot. But you're not Tron. gonna. You're not gonna. You're not gonna withdraw Tron from Bitmax. No, you? you're not allowed to. You yeah. can't. Yeah. Um, see, that's genius. That like, uh, sort of, uh, creates that resilience that you need just by being Bitcoin only, and that's hard for people. I mean, the allure to, to, that's actually what I'm interested. In. Like, how does Arthur, uh, liquidate some of his holdings? 
Into... Well, he's not Bitcoin only. No, like, he's he has not. like OTC dealers and shit like that where yeah. he sells. Uh, but but you look at like Kim.com. I mean, he, right. you know, the U.S. can go after you anywhere in the world if they know who to go after. Yeah, they. What did they do? They had helicopters. Yeah, and that was the MPAA. That was just you know that was really motivated. That was Hollywood. The, it was the BitTorrent wars. Yeah, basically. that was the BitTorrent wars. But yeah. I mean, we haven't seen this this level of attack for Bitcoin, but. We know that's how they roll, you know, like if that's what they want to do, they just send in the helicopters and, you know, your mansion is invaded and you go to, you know, you get an illegal, even if you don't go to jail, you're tied up for years in legal wranglings. And wait till the autonomous drones, then shit gets interesting. <laughs> Off the shelf autonomous drones, you don't even know who They're already them. here. You don't, but, but you don't even know, the, the key is when you give them the kill decision and you're not like, right now, most of the drones, you're operating them through satellite you have a human controller on the other side that's deciding when to, you know, do anything. When you start sending them out and they're just making their own decisions and you just have a swarm of, of just Chinese parts and, and no one knows where they came from, like, you can do some crazy fucking shit. Ah, oh, scary as fuck, dude. That, that cabin out in the woods is sounding better and better, uh, <laughs> right? I don't know. Sweet. You need to have some anti-air. <laughs> you just got to be, like... Off the grid to the point that nobody knows where to send those drones. Yeah, you shouldn't have like a podcast. <laughs> yeah, too late. <laughs> yeah, no, definitely not. If especially if you're not trying to get deep faked in an audio world. No, the deep fakes will be good for us. I'm excited for the deep fakes because then it gives us plausible deniability. I like that. Yeah, yeah but the, the, uh, it's like coin uh, join for speech. Are we? Again, <laughs> it's like I didn't say that. That this a is this is a question we haven't asked in a while on this podcast. Uh, utopia or dystopia? What are we headed towards? Like, because this is very dystopian. Like, this scares the shit out of me. Will this be good? Will we only be like radar droning bad people, or will good people get droned as What's well? What's a good person or a bad person? That's a good question, right? I think the problem with you know utopia dystopia is that one man's utopia is the next man's dystopia. Very good. I mean, Very you've got still good. people who are lamenting the fall of the Soviet Union. They like that lifestyle. Really? Oh yeah, sure. You'll. I mean, you'll find people who grew up in that system. I mean, I don't think it's a lot of them, but you know, it was a comfortable life. You didn't have to worry about anything. You hear, you, know, you hear people say that. Every every dystopia had somebody who, after the fact, sort of misses it. So I think when we go to our fully, you know, sovereign individual style society, it'll be the utopia for some, but it'll be the dystopia for others. So yeah. bankers, or not, not bankers, central bankers, it'll be a dystopia for sure. I'm going to go with, is for them. They can't handle it. I'm going to go with utopia because like, why the fuck not? Might as well just be optimistic. <laughs> I, I, I am. I, <laughs> I love to err on the side of optimism. Like I hope the, the, Goodwill of the human spirit shines through because I do believe 99.9% of people are good people, right? Like, yeah, since we're getting philosophical, I think it's an interesting to think of like this period of time too as we're kind of faced with two alternatives, you know, and one alternative is the social credit turnkey totalitarianism. I mean, you, you could say that technology enables a level of, of dystopian society that we haven't really. Had before. Maybe we're already living in dystopia, like me sc scrolling down, refreshing I, I, Twitter every day. Yeah, maybe yeah, is. maybe. But I like to think we're we're at a, we're at a crux, you know, like we're at a turning point. We can go. We have the technology to enable both outcomes, and it's being decided. You know, it's being decided which way wins. Yeah, I mean, I'd be careful about that because I, I mean, I think that we are probably living in the like, the best time in in the history of the world right now. So. Um, I, you know, I, I, I wouldn't say I like to call it a dystopia would be incorrect. And I, I mean, I think that I, I, I did not have. Would it though? 
Bitcoiners give me hope. Right? Maybe that's what Bitcoin a dystopia is, though, where you think you're living in a paradise, but you're like so no, mentally. I think, I think if you look back in like human history, like the majority of human history has just been like violence and death. Yes. And like we are living in like a time period, especially in America, where there's an absence of that. So to to say that like. So there's, you know, an absence, right? there's an absence of that in a, in a violent sense, but you also have opioid addiction at all-time highs. You have heart disease at all-time highs. You have uh, things like obesity at all-time highs, suicide rate at all-time highs. It's yeah, a, but compare that to, like, the feudal system. Uh, yeah. It's, right. So, or, like, World War One. Or like World War Two. Yes, we're ratcheting up. I mean, I think I, I I would agree with you, Matt. That I mean, utopia. I'm trying to play devil's advocate. I yeah, agree with yeah. you guys. I know. But, but but you know, I would still maintain that even though we're we're ratcheting up, you you have this. You at least have this glimpse in different countries like China, where of of a way it could go. And it would be hard to recover from. I mean, nothing is forever, but it would be hard to recover Look from. Look at what happened. We haven't talked about this yet. What happened in Hong Kong? Like the triads going and attacking the protesters. Oh, my God. That's so fucked up. So crazy. But on the flip side, we saw it live yeah. through a live stream on Twitter. That's pretty crazy. Right. right? That, that is the beauty of Twitter. The ultimate empathy provider is like, holy shit. These people should not and be being attacked. And just like communication, yeah. right? Communication is yeah. on like a whole nother level. I mean, there's definitely a path we go here where it could be horrible. Um, but especially what we surround ourselves with, the three of us, I think there's a lot of hope, right? There's a lot of hope there. There's a lot of very smart people, very dedicated people. Very hopeful. That are like, like I just want to hash this out, you know? You know, we, we talk about like OPSEC and stuff, right? Like, why are we here today recording this podcast? And we're here because, you know, we're dedicated to this mission. Uh, we think it's very important. Um, and, and we're willing to put shit on the line for that. Right. So, and I think there's like millions of people around the world willing to do that as well. And that gives, that's what gives me hope. Absolutely. And what you said earlier too, I think is also worth remembering, like in the context, you, you said that there are more good people than bad people. And I do think that's true. I mean, some technology can kind of give leveraged power to a small minority of, of bad people, you know, but, but Overall, the majority of people are good and are going to vote for, you know, vote in the way of, by, I don't mean like at the polls, but action. act yeah. by action. They're going to act in a, in a way that sort of takes advantage of, of uh, good I mean, things. we saw it in the blackout here in New York City uh, a couple of weeks ago where you have the Upper West Side completely lose power. You know, the people at Carnegie Hall come Midtown. out. Midtown. Midtown was out. Yeah, Midtown. Times, Times Square, Square was, was down. Out. And you have like... It was probably the best time to ever be in Times Square. You think you would like literally <laughs> one of the most busy epicenters of any city across the world and all the power goes out you think there would be chaos but yet you have people directing traffic you have car people and carnegie hall coming out and giving a live concert for free to the people on the streets and and stuff like that and one of the most despotic and dirty and old infrastructure cities in the world where you have this calamity happen it wasn't a calamity but it was pretty big shit show for for new york mayor wasn't even in town yeah he wasn't even in town i mean then you look at the 70s and it was just all looting and just a complete fucking clusterfuck right so progress is up and to the right i I think also you know a lot of a lot of bitcoiners you know sort of you know you think of anarchy and 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 you know that has a negative connotation but if you are optimistic generally about human nature that that's sort of the that's the argument for you know decentralization is that people will self-organize positively if if that's given the opportunity. Um, the way I look at anarchy is it's, it's uh, 
the right to to choose who you associate with right it's 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 i choose my relationships because like if you look at bitcoin for instance like i feel like in most situations i feel like we're one big ass fucking family like around the world right mm-hmm. no um so like anarchy doesn't mean chaos necessarily well that's that's the whole sort of orwellian propaganda around anarchy is that we've been taught to believe that anarchy is chaos like when you're t- when you're learning about Roman and Greek history. I feel like an- whenever anarchy is brought up, it's everything was crazy. People are killing each other. And I don't want to get into conspiracies about like the American education system, but <laughs> that's the connotation I was taught when I, when I was taught about anarchy when we grew up, specifically in like Roman and Greek culture. And I thought it was like, oh, anarchy avoided at all costs. But at the end of the day, anarchy is just individuals making decisions for themselves in their best interest. Yeah. I mean, I know some people who live out in the country and you know, whenever I hear somebody making the argument, but who's going to build the roads? Well, you know, they live, they live in a place where they have to build their own roads. You know, know what? They got a road society. They all pay into it and they build the roads. It's, you know, I'm sure people will argue against, you know, that as being generalizable. But I think generally people organize themselves when, when there's no other alternative, you know, and, and do a better job. <laughs> I mean, to, to play devil's advocate, like we never would have gotten our nationwide highway system if we weren't trying to move nukes around, right? Yeah, I mean, that <laughs> was it. Wasn't but you can argue FDR it was during, did it. It was during FDR did it. No, no, it was, it was later. World War One. So planes could land. No, it was later. No, I don't think so, man. I'm, FD, I'm, FDR did the highway I'm system. I'm like, I'm like 95% sure that that we expanded the highway system during the Cold War to move our nukes around very easily. Well, we definitely we may have expanded it, but the highway system in its uh, original inception was. Okay. FDR, yeah. I'm pretty but sure. But either way, they're both centrally planned government initiatives. Yes. I mean, take it one step further. Would we have gone to the moon without a centralized government? No, absolutely not. We didn't even really do anything. What do you mean? Like, what did Sound we do? Soundstage? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, what did we do? We, like, landed there for kicks, right? Right. And, and when I think about that, of course, you know, like, right now, it's the anniversary of the moon, moon landing. And, you know, what I think of when I, when I think of that nowadays, I'm thinking, like, maybe we shouldn't have, honestly. I mean, really, what, it was really a PR stunt. That's what I'm saying, right? It was right? Yeah. flex. It was, it was a little bit ahead of, of time. Yeah. It was ahead of time. Yeah, I mean, I would have liked to see, you know, us learn about science and space and all the good things. But it's, it's I mean, you guys are familiar with this idea of the seen and the unseen. What's seen is you go to the moon. What's unseen is all the other uses that money could have been put to by the people who earned it. I mean, this is I mean, I think NASA story. should have more money than less money, but... I guess that's besides the point. Um, space, like, it's crazy that we haven't been back there in 50 years. Well, look, that's I, why I like I liked Bezos. I'm a Bezos guy over a Musk guy when it comes to space because I think Bezos actually makes a lot of sense where we should actually go to the moon and make a base on the moon because if you want to send rockets further into space, there's so much less gravity on the moon that it takes so much less kinetic energy to do that. Well, and then what's Elon's? What's go straight difference? to Mars. Uh, I mean, I, I mean, we I have think, to go from Earth to Mars, and Bezos is like, let's go make a moon base. I It'll think be the, a lot easier to get back to and from Mars. The difference from between there. Bezos and Musk is Bezos is thinking Earth centric, and Musk is like, we need to save Earthlings by leaving Earth, right? Like, I feel like he's trying to. Again, I tend toward, more like towards. Whole, ba- I'm not as alarmist as, as Musk. I'm pretty sure. I, I'm like, didn't he get kicked out? He got kicked out of PayPal because he was thinking too big and they couldn't monetize off of what he was what he wanted to do really um that's his playbook every time it's like he just has these huge visions 
and then he like does things to try and make those visions a reality and i like i respect that shit like we need more of that elon blows my i mean the the controversy around elon blows my mind people are either really pro elon or like tesla q type people um and I don't know where I fall. I know I just know he's sending rockets to space and landing on small squares in the ocean, which I think is incredible. But a Tesla car ran over a pedestrian yesterday. So I mean, I mean, I'm a big I'm a big believer that we see we're going to see development in these things when there's a profit motive to do it, right? Not when we just spend a bunch of money and time and lives to just like land on the moon and take some pictures, right? But when when you can actually like make money doing it then we will like look at like exploring the americas like it was all done by private companies that wanted to make fucking bank explain that dive into that wasn't it all done by private companies that wanted to make bank like all those expeditions yeah the sugar trade the like rum all trade the, all that stuff like christopher columbus trade. christopher columbus was a, like a private expedition that he did have government government help i mean Let's, right? let's also recognize that a lot of the private entities back then were probably slave Or like the East, well. the East India Company, right? Yeah, like East stuff India, like that. First, first ever company to have a stock. These are all companies that want to, they wanted to make a profit motive. And, and the profit motive was going to these lands that hadn't been developed yet, right? That they could lay their, they lay their claim in. This is actually a great, uh, great argument for capitalism here because they help bring the prices of everything down by going on these adventures and being able to... to uh, transport these goods to and from these these faraway areas that had never been explored before, uh, which I mean, were slow steps towards the crazy community or ex- community the crazy world we have now. Where we have some camera videotaping us, like remotely. We're talking through microphones here. We're gonna record this on the internet later. But that's where it started. It was uh, enterprising individuals and companies uh, saying, "Hey, I'm gonna fucking do this myself." I mean, that's where, like, Lob 49 comes in, right? Is that is, it's not just taking a picture on the moon. Like, you can make money running a node, right? And, like, more people will do it because there's money to be made. That's just how things are. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the reason that we're making a protocol, too. I mean, we have a device that we want to, you know, use this protocol with. But, you know, it's going to be open for anybody to think of some better way to do it, you know, some better way to earn, so earn value for communication, um, and we'll see. I mean, that's like, I mean, who could imagine all the crazy things that got built for Bitcoin? I mean, the, the cold card, you know, the, 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 digit, the hardware wallets. I love the cold. Do you have a cold card yet? I do. I have to still set it up, but I love the, yeah, I love the idea. It's very easy to set it up. We got yeah, I love the fact that it's programmable too. I mean, that's, that's yeah. pretty awesome. The fact that it's open source. I mean, open source. I mean, that's the whole open source community is also, you know, it's, it's great. You don't have to develop everything in house now. You can let your community basically develop cool stuff. Uh, you, you know, protocols are really just a, a pre-negotiated contract where, you know, people are going to follow the same rules. But, you know, what you do past that, anybody, you know, can sort of innovate. Uh, and Bitcoin, you know, you've got Bitcoin miners, you know, you've got a whole ecosystem that's incentivized by this protocol to build different types of hardware. Um, you know, we got the noddle, we got all these cool things coming out. And that, you know, we're talking about capitalism. But, you know, you set some sort of rules and then you just let let people innovate you let people do what you know do what they can to make to to increase the value of the system i think that's where bitcoin why bitcoin is successful is is it's kind of it, it because it has no gatekeepers you don't you know you don't just have one company doing you know patenting hardware wallets you've got everybody and it you know it and it changes over time is if you don't keep up you lose you know they viciously compete as we're finding out in the last like six months and whether it's hardware wallets or 
coin join uh, implementations. It is uh, it is people putting that on the market and and competing heavily, which is again like that's a. I like to, I haven't harped on this uh, on a while. Ugh, I haven't harped on this in a while on this podcast. But again, a phrase that I learned when I was playing high school lacrosse. I had a very we were a very good team, and we had very good coaches, particularly my freshman through junior year, who really instilled very good lessons into me and my brother and everybody who played on those teams. But with the one message was, "You're only as strong as your weakest link." And I think in Bitcoin, that that message is is accentuated and and uh very true it's like you are only as strong as your like if internet service providers can stop you from relaying message that's your weakest link you may have a lot of mind share on this network you may have a lot of distribution you may have it in a lot of hands of people but if the weakest link is internet service providers and they can just flip a switch and shut it down we're fucked like it, none of nothing else matters at that point and that's why I love Bitcoiners. They're always trying to find the weakest link and make it stronger. Yeah, for sure. I mean, that's why when you look at projects that are more centralized, you know, they might get stuff done quickly initially, but they can't, can't really compete against a decentralized, like, ground-up innovation because you just can't be everywhere. You can't be looking at every problem. So, you know, a large decentralized community is going to maybe get slower for the uptake, but in the end, it's going to have legs to, to survive. I mean, that's, that's what we're all here for is to see it survive. I mean, I don't think Bitcoin has to go up in price. It doesn't have to do anything. It just has to survive. Uh, and that's, that's Orange the strength. good, number go up. <laughs> <laughs> that too. But, I mean, the, the funny thing is there's a weird phenomenon with Bitcoin. It was when, you know, Orange Coin goes up, it maybe unlocks development talent. It unlocks people who maybe had to work a day job, and now they, now they work for Bitcoin. There's a, you talked about the fifth column. I think there's mm. strong fifth column in Bitcoin in not just technology companies like Apple. It's governments you know it's patrick everywhere. henry he <laughs> listens to this podcast i hope you yo patrick if you're listening come on the pod dude we'd like to talk to you what's the name of the shitcoin congressman uh davidson maybe william davidson is that right <sighs> i could be wrong i feel like he listens he might even comment as a nim you know we got yeah he listens i'm just gonna say Look, he listens there you go <laughs> That's why, I mean, we've said hi to Vitalik on this podcast, which is no way Vitalik listens. So we might as well oh, pretend Vitalik he listens. listens to this. He's a huge fan. Oh, you, have you seen <laughs> the narratives that have been, ad- been, a- been adopted in Ethereum? We, Sound we should, money, all that stuff. He definitely listens. We should, we should run ads, just Vitalik's favorite pod, TFTC. Oh, for you freaks out there, this is Vitalik's favorite, favorite podcast. He's, uh, he's been adapting all the narratives we've been talking about for the last two years. Actually, it hasn't even been him. It's been other... No, but I mean, that's why I'm here, right? Like Bitcoin went up in price and I foresee that one more bull run and I can do this full time and I really want to do that. That would be fucking dope. Right? Yes, yes. We, we are not doing this full time yet for you freaks that don't. Right, but, but because Bitcoin price went up, I'm willing to do it part time, right? <laughs> yeah. Um, I, th- I think the price going up is like more important than people realize. And, but it doesn't matter. Like you don't have to harp on it because I think the price will continue to go up, which people give me shit for. I remember like the bottom of the market, um, uh, Udi, who I really respect 
was like, it's really irresponsible for people to assume that the price will just keep going up forever. And I responded underneath him, uh, the Bitcoin's designed to pump forever with like shrug face or whatever. And I really believe it. Like I believe that Bitcoin is designed to pump forever. It might sound irresponsible to you. I think the pumps will reduce over time. The volatility will shrink. But like if you have a fixed supply asset that's being adopted by a growing number of people, like the price is, is going to keep going up. Like that's how it's designed. Supply and demand works that way. And it's the ultimate way to drag people in because you can't keep ignoring something when your buddy is, is going, when his value keeps going up and he keeps shilling it to you over and over again, right? Uh, I was the, uh, the terrible Bitcoin friend on the bachelor party last weekend. As soon as they had like three drinks on me, I was like, who? Who's going to buy Bitcoin next? <laughs> we were shilling we're it to it your buddy on, on air. He was like, he was like asking me the questions that I always answer at like every single party. You know? Yeah. I answered a lot of those this yeah. weekend. It's funny. Cause I mean, for me, I'm in a little different age group, I guess, but you know, at family gatherings, I, the whole family gathering, I, I, I can remember a few years ago, it's just like holding it in the whole time. You know, like I, I can't talk. I want to talk, talk about it. I can't talk about it. Like, now, you're a meme, right? You're a meme. Well, like everyone's yeah. like, oh, Richard's just going to shill us Bitcoin, right? Yeah, I mean, not even shill, but just like that's all I wanted to talk about. But now, <laughs> that's, now. That's the thing. It's not I'm that like, like yeah. it's not that I don't care about what other people have to say. It's like, this is all I want to talk yeah. about. Yeah, I don't care if they buy it. I just, that's all I want to talk about. But now we're like, you know, and I've got like nephews who want to talk about it now because they have a little and they're watching, you know? So it's sort of like, there's, it's like not, I don't want the, I, I don't care as much about the price as just having a community of people that, you know, so I'm not the, like the only guy talking about it. Of course, price is always important, but, um, but it isn't, you know, it, you know, socially, it's nice to just have it, it be, you know, President Trump is tweeting about it now. I can talk to people about it now. And it's like, yeah, you can think this isn't important, but I mean, it's at least a national topic now. It's, it's on topical. the stage. It's yeah. on the stage. You know what has worked? Not even worked for me, but I haven't, I haven't um, actively like pitched it in this way. It was actually yesterday, the newsletter I wrote on Upstream Data, their new Ohm uh, data center, which is like a mini little data center that you can put on place at an oil or natural mining gas. Mining rig. Yeah, mining rig. They my, call it data center. My mom so texted me. Be political. My mom texted me after reading that. was like, oh, my God, I finally get Bitcoin. Like, this really? makes a lot of sense. Like, yeah. And I my like father-in-law, because I, 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 Ohm got announced on Friday, or excuse me, yeah, got announced like last week. But even before that, I was talking about upstream data at dinner with him, like down the shore a couple weekends ago. And that was the aha moment for him, was the, the creating efficiency in oil and gas fields. Yeah, I mean, if you're not pro-Bitcoin, you hate the environment, right? Like, is that, that's the meme we're going with. That's a great way to shut down the whole, you know, like boil the oceans with mining too. It's like, there is a lot of trapped energy and this is what you do with it. <laughs> exactly. And because the alternative is you flare it into the atmosphere and it's 30 to 40 times worse. And like, once you had that framing, I have this, these two anecdotes with my mother and my father-in-law, well, they both were like, oh, like, this is interesting. But I mean, not even that, right? Like you have a direct, you have a direct uh, value on the waste energy, right? Like, you know, everyone has a dad who told you you had to turn the lights off, right? Like now imagine if you turn the lights off, like you made money, right? Like that's what Bitcoin unlocks, right? right. It's, a, it's a natural market-based price for energy usage around the world. And it, it creates an additional incentive there to not just like fuck around with your energy. Uh, I mean, like we look at like water, for instance. Water is one of the things that I'm really worried about. 
um, as as an individual who wants to survive. Uh, as all individuals. To be fortunately, I know that my Bitcoin will be able to purchase me water into the future. But uh, the main issue with water is that the cost is not equivalent to the real cost on society when you use it. So when you take a shower, it costs you cents. But really, you're wasting dollars worth of water. Do you know how much water it takes to make almonds? No. It's something like to make one almond, it costs like 300 gallons. So my almond milk is bad. It was bad for the... If you're drinking almond... I'm not drinking almond. I'm just just playing devil's advocate. But apparently, like almonds are, are very water intensive, just specifically as a as a good that's produced like that's the, interesting the amount of water that i mean so are cows and we love cows though right yeah yeah that's that's that was like the scariest part of the big short was the ending of the big short when they were like michael berry's next next big trade is water yeah like, oh, when i damn. saw that i just wanted to buy like barrels of water and put it in my <laughs> my yeah. parents basement having grown up in california i mean i think it's going to hit places like that first but uh not, it's it's not it's it's a local problem too. It's going to be different in different places. Well, the main issue is we need to price it appropriately, and that's the point I was trying to get at. Is that is that Bitcoin creates a price for energy around the world that's market based and permissionless, right? Like anyone can plug in a miner, no one can stop you, and and you get basically the equivalent market price for your Bitcoin um, based on on energy cost, right? So so that is like a really really insane concept. That just blows my mind. And it's one of the reasons, like, like people, you know, they call us Bitcoin maximalists just because we hate Ethereum. Um, and, and, and really, like, I, I think of myself as like a proof of work maximalist, right? Like, I think the real innovation here wasn't blockchain. It was, it was distributed proof of work. And it's like really mind blowing when you start going down that, that fucking rabbit hole. Oh, and my day job, we're working on these type of efficiencies in, in the energy markets. And it, it is real. It exists. It is crazy how, how many efficiencies proof-of-work mining in particular creates. And that's the first incentive outside of supercomputers where this trapped energy can be useful. And people don't realize that. Like People love to hate on energy companies and oil companies. and But if you think we're not going to need fossil fuels in the future... Like you're, you're not thinking. Like, Wait, we might not though. Well, if we have nuclear and stuff like that. Well, I think I think. Do you think fossil fuels will be the cheapest form of energy to mine Bitcoin? Well, that, uh, up to this point, no. I mean, and I think seventy-five percent is renewable. I think it'll go even cheaper. But I agree with that. But like, you should also work to make those efficiencies in the oil markets. So. Oh, absolutely, of course, of course. And but that's oh, fuck. I just lost my train of thought. I apologize. That's um, I lost it. It's gone. But, yeah, what what where you were talking? Fossil fuels. You were talking about fossil fuels and, and oh and oh. Here's what I want. The point I wanted to make. There was I forget exactly where it was. I think it might have been Germany. So Germany's been trying to transition to right. renewables pretty hardcore, and specifically with solar and wind, you depend on the weather. So if you have like, like my freshman year at DePaul University, there was sixty straight days where the sun did not break the clouds. Like, it is the Windy City, and it's the Windy City not because of the wind, because of the politics. Many people don't know that. So, like, there was, like, 60 days in Chicago, my freshman year in college, where the sun did not come out, and it probably wasn't that windy. So, like, if you're depending on straight-up solar and wind in that city at that particular time, you're not going to have enough energy, and energy costs are going to go up, and things are going to get crazy. So you need a mix of renewables and fossil fuels. Well, you're going to have... 
Yeah, you have nuclear. And nuclear. I, I mean... Wait, it's not actually a windy city? No, windy, the windy city is because it's politics. <laughs> because it's like, I always thought you guys just had like I mean, 20 mile an hour winds all no, the time. There, no, Chicago, <laughs> the windy, it's called the windy city because the, the politics are so corrupt and quote unquote windy. I never knew that. Yeah. I mean, the one I like, I mean, you've got this, this whole idea of upstream data, but I like the idea. I mean, I live in a place that's pretty cold most of the year. Uh, and also is powered, you know, the heat, heat is basically electrical power. They don't have fossil right. fuels. Um, I think, you know, I, I at least am hoping for a decentralization of mining into heating systems. And I know people have sort of taken... I think we'll see that. We've yeah, seen that we, in Siberia, seen that, right? We've, we've seen need. that direction there. But, I mean, that's, the great, that's a, a great way to decentralize mining. And, you know, you only have to be as efficient as a heat pump. You know, you don't have to be 100% paid for with mining. Right. I think that happens when, it, like, ASIC development, like, plateaus, right? Like, right now, the ASICs go out of profitability way too quickly. Um, I think we'll hit a point where, like, you'd be an idiot not to put it in your building-wide boiler, for instance, stuff like that. It is really interesting, I've noticed traveling, which, by the way, everyone should do. I've always reminded people. Europe tends to have a ton of electric heat. We don't do that in America. We have no electric heat here. We have no one cheap does oil and gas. Yeah. And the, a lot of places in Europe don't. <laughs> but, but you... But but still, it's all electric heat, right? There's like you have electric heaters in every room. Yeah, and just space heater in Paris when I went there. And we don't have December. that here, right? No. Like if you rented an apartment and and the heater was an electric thing on the wall, you'd be like, I'm not renting this apartment. Yeah, it's gonna burn down. Yeah, that's like interesting. Space well, of course, they see it the other way. They you know talking to my my relatives out there. So like, so you wait, let me get this straight. You pump flammable gas into your home, <laughs> and then you light it on a thermostat in the middle of the night while you sleep. Is that is that what you do? Well, no, the natural gas thing, just on a tangent, just like, I mean, I mean, the whole idea that you have people with gas stoves, like in apartment buildings, who you just like, or you're trusting your neighbor, like not to leave their gas on overnight, is like the most crazy thing in the world to me. Um, uh, we both live in those type of apartment buildings. Yeah, that, that pretty much blows my mind. That that happened. Yeah, if you have a Fight Club like uh, scenario happen. Yeah, like, but like at the trip. same time, like if you put electric heaters in apartments, like people will freak the fuck out. I'm watching like, Fight Club. They're not happy for it. Sorry to my wife, but we're watching it tonight. What Fight Club? Yeah. Um, no, but I, yeah, it is crazy. Yeah, yeah. The energy, the energy conversation gets heated and pun intended. And uh, but it is the. It's very nuanced though, right? It depends where you are. Depends how how much a certain type of electricity is where you are and the the supply and demand of it and it's a very nuanced conversation everybody's uh is obviously a very diversive conversation as well but i think we have to to realize there's going to be a mix and and it's very again contextual for where you are and, and what part of the world you're in yeah, I mean, that's, and it's, it's strange having something like Bitcoin. It's not just a world currency, but like you're saying, it's like a world currency for energy. Mm-hmm. So that's like two fundamental things that, that now becomes global, both energy prices and just prices in general, just really. Prices, Everything yeah. can be, you know, you, when you take out the controls, like why should it be more expensive to buy? I don't know. I mean, you know, something that's price controlled, for example, can't be price controlled if you can buy it anonymously with Bitcoin. You know, it's harder. So, um, yeah, you, you, you flatten, you know, flatten the world a bit, which would be interesting. It's a permissionless petrodollar. Right. Sure. I mean, it's funny when you think, I was thinking of that earlier when you were talking that we say petrodollar, we're literally talking about a monetary system tied to energy. 
So how strange is it now that Bitcoin is is a you know, it's an now it's not just energy it's a manifestation of it. Yeah, it's but we're we're tying now three things. It's not just energy and money. It's energy, money, and information. Sort of like we're getting sort of an internet money now, not a physical money. So it's it's like you see an evolution there, which is pretty tantalizing. And, and meanwhile, we have some idiots that are trying to break that tie. Like they they think that's a benefit. Oh, dude, we got to go proof of stake is better for the environment. Man. <laughs> we're going to look back on this in a few years and laugh, I think. Yeah, we're know, already some... laughing. I'm, I'm looking at tweets from 2017 where I'm like, the exchanges are all going to be the stakers. And the meanwhile, Binance just announces There's, every, what is every this, day they coin? announce a new, a new coin that they're staking and that they're going to give special rewards to people and everyone's just bringing their coins in. Yeah, you, what was it? They're sixth or eighth? Yeah, they added Komodo. Yeah. Which is not a prop. Like, I got shit a little bit on Twitter. It's not a proper proof of stake coin. <laughs> but I mean, this, this made me think of something right now. But still. There seems like there's a, like, for education, a bit become, to become an educated Bitcoiner, it's not just reading books. You actually have to experience certain phases. Exactly. Uh, because, I don't know if you've talked about this, but the idea, like, you got to be, you got to, you know, get excited about a shitcoin at some point. Oh, you yes. should drop it early, but you should do that. Like, you should have that experience. You should mine even though it's a stupid idea to personally mine. Download the wallets, download the hard, or yeah, download the wallets, mine if you can. It, that's, that's what made me realize proof of stake was, was stupid. Like I had like a small amount of a proof of stake coin and it was just like staking. I was like, this doesn't make any sense. I'm not doing anything. Like, why am I making interest on this? Yeah, I mean, yeah, but it's all these things. Like, there's certain certain lessons you got to learn by trying, you know. And that, so I, I can't really like when I meet somebody who's just into Bitcoin, or into cryptocurrency, usually not Bitcoin. They're they're gonna they're gonna say, I want to mine, you know. Like, cause we all wanted to mine, you know. We all that, cloud mining. There's always cloud mining. Or, or yeah, I mean, cloud mining came a little later, but that you know, like, why did you know when Lightning uh, Litecoin came out, you know, like people were excited. Oh, I can mine at home again because like ASICs had taken off. And that just gets repeated. Every you know, new wave has to go through those cycles. Like new wave of, of, of people who are like brought into Bitcoin, they they get seduced, and they and it's just a question of you know, do they learn the lesson or do they not learn the lesson? Well, what is that next wave? Because it was ICOs last time around. People were saying maybe IEOs, initial exchange. IEOs offerings. are just ICOs. Yeah, They're just, just ICOs. I know, but like I think we're gonna go back to proof of work altcoins. To like pure proof of work launches. Yeah. Pre-mines? Well, maybe not like a pure pre-mine. It'll be like they know the algo ahead of time. Yeah, so, so what Nick Carter... They, what they Nick basically Carter do talk. like a kind of pre-mine where they're just the main dominant miners in the beginning, stuff like that. But don't, right. don't you think like it's sort of been shown that you got to have ASICs? I mean, I know that's still being... No, yeah, you have to get to... I think you have to get to ASICs and, and that threshold from, from when you're not at ASICs to getting to ASICs is like super important. And then once you hit ASICs, you're going to be in like a super centralized ASICs mode. And you have to get past that point to get to a more distributed ASIC. And that's the key with the pre POW life cycle is that you have to get past that whole point. And this whole idea that you can have like something that's ASIC resistant is really just Correct. you have centralization that decides to change the algo because that's the only way. Because like ultimately, specialized hardware will always be more efficient than general purpose hardware. Right. So like you have to have a centralized factor that changes it and you're just holding yourself back. And I think getting past that threshold is going to become harder and harder over time. Right. So like that's going to be a major um, issue for new proof of work networks. But I, I think we'll see them just, you know, just pop up and die and pop up and die. And yeah, no, that's been the uh, 
crazy. Is it red herring that like ASICs are bad? Like ASICs are great. ASICs are great. Like you and want good for home specialization. Miners. Like if if you're a home miner, like you can order a purpose built machine and plug it in. Dude, like it's way easier. Going than, back to upstream data, general purpose. Upstream released a t- tweet today. Their first customer who's running that Ohm data center, they mined a block within the first week. Granted, they were they were contributing to a pool. They were in a pool. Yeah, yeah they were in a pool, but <laughs> one of their miners found a block. Like they didn't get the whole twelve and a half Bitcoin, but wow, the block reward's so small now. It'd be <sighs> interesting to see if you ever get it, like some place where they subsidize natural gas. If you get people putting these into their homes yeah, or something. Yeah. All college students yeah. were like mining doge yeah, back in the day. Every college is going to have to stop offering electricity with their rent. Right. Any kind of landlord that offers it is going to have to stop. Uh, we saw cases in Germany where they had the um, Tesla, free EV plugging yeah. for the for the cars and some guy was just running miners in his trunk. You know, like like they have to stop that. Like any kind of, and that's what I was talking about earlier where there's a cost to waste, yeah. right? All of a sudden you have this 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 free market decided cost to your waste and all these places where energy is subsidized and, and essentially wasted because they're subsidized will have to stop otherwise they'll just run out of money yeah it's great ah, it's beautiful it's, it's beautiful just like the incentives of it all and and it's beautiful and it's multifaceted too because it creates these incentives and energy efficiency and then when you're holding the token in low time preference and and not selling it and combining all those together and to figure out how to be as efficient as possible and then how to save as much as possible for the long term i think it's overall good for humanity like and i wholeheartedly believe this and people are like oh you never want a deflationary currency or depreciation like or deflation you never want deflation like deflation's evil but i think that is I truly believe that the deflation is evil meme is some Orwellian bullshit that people for some reason cannot get over. Like, why would you not want to pay less for something in the future? Yeah. I mean, that's like something about that word (laughs) deflation sounds bad. But if you also ask people, would you like things to get cheaper over time? I mean, they're not going to answer no, are they? Yeah. (laughs) I like that meme. Yeah. Cheaper over time. Cheaper over time. Like, why is that crazy? Orange, orange coin it, get, it gets crazy go up cheaper over time. But like I'll play, like I'll play devil's advocate here. It gets crazy when you like bring crazy creditors in the mix, and you have like a bunch of creditors that are out there. And yes, deflation's bad for them, but it's just like contain your risk. Like yeah, well, time I think preference. <laughs> what helps here is 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 that because it's code, like we can divide it infinitely, right? Like one of the issues, right, with a deflationary currency in like man, like pre-Bitcoin times would be that we can't d- divide it infinitely. Mm-hmm. So, so you would have issues where you, you, you know, you, you, when it comes time to spend, you, you'd have some issues, right? Yeah. Well, let's be completely honest here. Like Bitcoin at the protocol level, that's probably not true with fees. So like this is why we depend on like second layer uh, tools or protocols like Lightning Network now state chains and stuff. You go like subset on Lightning. You go subset, and so Richard, I guess we could end. I feel like we've been here for what time? Or like, it's what, been two hours. It's been two hours. Like, are you optimistic about the the future of the Lightning Network? The future of these transaction layers? Are yeah, you, I mean, of course. I mean, and that's why Lot Forty Nine is built on Lightning. We think we think that. I mean, I think a lot of people who actually got into Lightning 
also had been thinking about Mesh. I mean, I've heard that from other Lightning developers, that that actually was like Mesh that brought them to Lightning, sort of thinking about Mesh and the idea you hear micropayments. I mean, we, we have some kind of cool, like fun cases for micropayments, but that's Mesh is sort of like the quintessential, it's like this textbook micropayment system. So uh, yeah, I'm totally optimistic about, about that and about you know, Lightning. And, and, and I see what we're trying to do is really just a great application of Lightning. I mean, it's really, that's all it is. And we're gonna see other applications, but this is just, you know, this is one we think that can really unlock a lot of communication, you know, com uh, ground up communication systems. But we're gonna see others. And that's, that's why, another reason I'm optimistic about both Bitcoin and what Lightning can do for Bitcoin, absolutely. Well, you're somebody who makes me extremely optimistic. Thank you for doing what you do. It's seriously so cool, like what you're doing with Gotenna and, and Lot 49. Again, it's, as adult, it has, uh, it's been crazy to see uh, how much I've learned from the things you've built. Like mesh networking was never on my conscience before you explained TX Tenor for the first time last year. I was like, holy shit, this is crazy. Um, and thank you for what you're doing. Thanks. I mean, I really appreciate what you and Matt, you know, have been talking about it on, on air and everything you talk about is great, but I really, you know, it's like, I feel like I'm really the avatar for this idea. You know, I didn't invent it. I'm just pushing it, but it's resonating really well with people. And that, that really pushes me forward just to try to make it the thing that everybody wants, you know? <laughs> yeah. I mean, Richard is both a freak and a friend. Right? He listens to the Thanks. podcast. You listen to the podcast. Absolutely, I was a long time listener um, before. And I, yeah, I I consider you a close friend, you know. And uh, it's just, I'm like I'm glad that we finally got you on. You know, like you, it's been a long time coming. Yeah, I I'm sorry for for letting you know this was happening last night. Richard and I confirmed yesterday. I, I told Matt last night. I was like, oh, dude, we've got Gotenna. I was like, oh fuck yes, I'm there. <laughs> um, this has been the quickest two hour plus episode. This has been a lot of fun. Um, thank you. Thank you for coming. Thank you for doing what you're doing. Any last words for the freaks out there? Anything we can do? Any call to action that you can put out there that we can help uh, push Go Tenno or TX Tenno or Lot 49 forward? Yeah, thanks. I mean, I would just say go to Global Mesh Labs. We have a link to the white paper. You know, we're still looking for feedback. This is still in the protocol development phase. We're working on simulations, so there's plenty. It's all open source. You know, if you're a developer or if you're a developer, get in in the code, work on, you know, work on, you can help with the simulation. Uh, we've got a, a guy, Will, who's one of our, um, uh, he's like, a, he's an intern who's working on the simulation, but we can always use more help with that. Uh, TX10 is all open source. You know, and, and this is stuff is still proof of concept, but we need people trying it and giving us ideas. So, uh, you know, please contribute. And if you're not a developer, read the white paper and, you know, give us your thoughts. Yeah, we're, we'd love to hear what you think. But thanks. Bang, bang. Matthew? Stay humble, stack sets. Peace and love, freaks. Wait, we should clap. <laughs>